Marks get set. Go. Stop. Right, ready to go. It's Andrew Davis calling from Toon Talk Radio. Good evening to everybody. Well, it's been a really nice weekend, enjoyable, apart from my carpet day from hell. We'll get to that in a moment, but it's been a nice weekend for Newcastle. Sunderland actually won as well. Millsborough won, I think. Yes, they did. And uh, lots going on, as ever, in the northeast with the football. But a cracking week for Newcastle especially where we're actually on a winning roll after the mini-crisis we kind of had. But it's been very, very... You can catch us everywhere under www.toontalk.co.uk and also on any handheld devices. It's www.novaradio.co.uk. If you want to uh, get in touch via the show, it's 0191 538 And you can also go on Twitter under Andrew14AD. And I would like to bring in my co-host for this evening is Neil Mitchell, calling from the lovely wilds of Dubai. Good evening, Neil. Good evening, Andrew. How are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. From the, it's the little warm-up exercise I heard you going through, I'm kind of wondering what's going <laughs> on in your house. Start hey, People coming around. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like one big carry-on film, isn't it? Hey, well, before, obviously, before I bring in uh, Peter Ramage, who's on the line at the moment, one we'll, minute, yeah, we'll discuss the carpet fitting in a minute, but Peter wants yeah, to hear yeah. all about the, 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 the carpet fitter, but I'm going to bring in Peter Ramage, a father, husband, the rest, well, find out for yourself. Still still enjoying his football, you're for a licensed coach, Instagram, Peter Ramage 83, Snapchat, Prambro 83. He's now currently... Uh, playing in America for the League before the MLS. He's also been to India. He's also been to Coventry. He's been to QPR. And obviously, the best of a lot, he played for Newcastle United. I'm sure he's played for a couple more clubs, but we'll bring him in. Good evening, Peter. How are you? Good evening. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. So, we'll get to it first. I, I've had really bad problems today, Peter and Neil, with um, carpet fitters. Now, I don't know. I'm sure, Peter, and yourself, with different places you've lived, uh, you do expect them to move the furniture, don't you, Peter? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm going to kill him. Neil, yes or no? Well, considering I live where they're on, they just don't do carpets here, mate. So but I'm, in general? I've not seen a carpeted floor for about five years. Um, <laughs> um, to be fair, no, to be fair, we've no, got... I would, um, I would shift it myself. I... To be fair, we got, we got our bedroom done the, uh, last year. To be fair, the carpet out. He did all he asked for was the the small like drawers, chest of drawers, and things like that. He said he'd move the bed himself, and he did. To be fair, so it was just the little things we were asked to move. Well, I'll give I'll give you the short version. Uh, 
they came at 9.30, there was three of them. One guy came in and said he's going to do the underlay. The other two left to do another job, I suspect. And they then proceeded to then ring my mother. And I obviously was still here, but she took over. But uh, he started to argue with my mother about the fact that they had to move the furniture. Uh, I helped him a little bit because I had to go to work. I work in Newcastle. So I stayed there at 11.30. I left. And then all hell broke loose. They were whinging over multiple cups of coffee and tea by my mother and my dad. And they've moved everything. And uh, everything's all over. Obviously, it's a complete tip because they've left everything everywhere. But I managed it. But it would cost 800 quid. And if they should have said all of this before about the, the furniture malarkey before we started doing the business. Right or wrong, yeah. Peter? No, I, I'll give you that, to be fair. I'll give you that. They should, have, they should have informed you whether they wanted this stuff moved or not. Especially if there was three of them that turned up. You would have thought that they would have been able to just quickly move it, like, but... Yeah. Well, it's, it smells it smells very nice, I have to say, but uh, it smells better than the, the, the cat pee I've been normally smelling. But, like, um, uh, so tell me... Um, it's a wonderful image, It's a beautiful, salubral <laughs> image of class and dignity. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, I've got all that, haven't I? But like, um, obviously, Neil, I'm going to ask you first, then Peter can answer it second. But the, uh, obviously, we've heard tonight that FIFA have fined England thirty-five thousand euros for the poppies. What's your What's your take on that? Really, quite disgraceful. Um, there's, there's part of us says at least have not docked with points. I took out the competition because <laughs> uh, I'm I, when it comes to to decisions against England, they seem to be harsher than they are in other countries. I think the bottom line is is FIFA have now, by doing that, declared that they view the poppy as a political symbol. And, yeah. and I think this, this is what it's going to boil down. It was a legal argument, and it's quite a simple legal argument. Is the poppy a political symbol or not? And I suspect the FA will take this to some sort of court of arbitration, um, ironically in Europe, um, and say, right, what is the poppy? Is it a political symbol? If it is, we'll take the fine on the chin. And if you deem that it's not a political symbol, back to you, FIFA, you can't fine me for that. And I think that'll be the argument that then unfolds from here. Now, do the FA, do the FA have the balls to make that stand or not? I'll be very interested to see what happens. Because, to be, be honest, the state FIFA is in still, with the fallout of everything that's been going on within their uh, organisation, for them to be handing out arbitrary fines for something like this is quite, in my opinion, disingenuous and very inappropriate. And therefore, um, they're putting themselves in an interesting position if they lose this fight legally. I've got a feeling the FA will fight this. And then we'll see what happens. Peter? No, I totally agree with you, Neil. I just, I, to be honest, I think it's nothing short of a disgrace that, um, you know, it's something that's been in our uh, tradition for oh, well, as long as I, I can, as long as I can probably imagine. I mean, it's. I don't think it's a political thing, to be brutally honest. With you. I think it's a sign of respect to all those who who serve for serve for us, who have fought for us and lost their lives for us. And for people to say it's political, I think it's. I just think it's nothing short of a disgrace. You know, I was listening to talk short this afternoon. Harry Redknapp made a great mm-hmm. point and says, just don't pay the fine. You know, it's. I think it's it would set a precedent. I mean, I mean, 
if a, if somebody dies, we wear black armbands. You know, it's it's that's just a mark of respect for me. Politics, I don't think come into it, and I think FIFA are just trying to kind of make a stand on this as uh, a bit of a deflection from what, like Neil said, what's going on in their own house. Uh, I just think it's it's a shambles, to be honest. An interesting thing I found about the whole weekend is when I heard this, obviously today. Uh, you hear that Sepp Blatter, a chauffeur, he's tried to keep his chauffeur, even though he's been banned, he's lodged an appeal against losing his, um, his chauffeur. Wow. It just goes to show, I think that chauffeur gets yeah, 75,000 a year. Yeah. But I mean, um, funny, but is this the first year that England have ever worn, you know, poppies on armbands or poppies on shirts? I'm sure that's not. So why are they trying to make a... You know, an example of it now in 2016 when, you know, we've more than likely worn it in previous years. You know, what, what makes the difference between then and now, you know? I just think it's it's a bit uh, bit of coincidence that, you know, FIFA are obviously going through a bit of a turmoil at the minute and, try, like I said, trying to maybe deflect a bit of that onto, onto another nation, which, to be brutally honest with you, is just creating more attention towards them. Yeah, I find it. I find it very interesting. If you look in the not too distant past, the entire Argentinian squad was pictured with a flag questioning the sovereignty of the Falkland Islands. <laughs> now, if that's not a political <laughs> statement, I don't know what is. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't even mentioned by FIFA. And we're yeah. talking about players who play in the Premier League, players who play for English clubs. Um, yeah. And if that's not a political statement, and that's not finable, then I'm damn sure wearing a poppy. Your poppy is, which is a symbol for all the fallen in the war. Not just one side or the other side, it's for everybody who lost their lives during conflict. That was, you know, in, in, in case of the First World War, nothing short of barbaric loss of life. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and to, to turn around and use it as an excuse to, well, this is us as, as asserting our, our position in the game of control. I think it's pathetic. I really do. I think it's really pathetic. There's bigger problems in the world of football than worry about what somebody's got stitched into an armband uh, it, there really is there's bigger things to be worrying about within the sport than that mm. yeah I think you're right Peter about the fact that we've, we've this has happened before and there's been no blowback whatsoever um, yeah. I, I think mean, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to rack my brain but I'm sure we've the national side because there's normally obviously international games over the November period and, and whatnot or whenever whenever it is that they, they they know, they know they show their sign of respect by either wearing it on the shirts or wearing it on armband. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, but I'm sure that they've done it before and I just don't understand why now um, it's become such a big issue. I can answer that for you, Peter. I've just done a little quick Google with the computer in front of us. In 2011, FIFA agreed that the England, Scotland and Wales team could wear poppies on black armbands during November internationals. England go. wore them on a 1-0 friendly win over Spain at Wembley. Scotland did so in a match against Cyprus and Wales wore them against Norway. This year, under new president Gianni Infantino, FIFA indicated they could punish teams for breaking the rule before their November matches, and that's led to what this is. And the, the option of a points deduction was made as a possible punishment open to FIFA also. It's a grey area. They haven't yes. said either a, point, a possible points deduction. Well, What's a points deduction, what's not? You either wear it or you don't. And if you wear it, you get fined. If you don't, then that's fair enough. But to be with it as a possible, it just makes it even more of a mockery. You know, if they're trying to make a stand against something, regardless of whether it's right or wrong, say, well, no, it's a, it's a points deduction or not. Not just a fine, because let's be brutally honest with you, the 35k means nothing. nothing yeah. 
but yeah. the, the, the the actual points deduction might make a difference between the national side going to a tournament or not. So that's where, it, it, again, for me, it, it just makes it even more of a joke well, that well, they've even got grey areas in their rules. And bringing it even further, closer to home, they've even also apparently issued the Republic of Ireland a fine for the players wearing shirts commemorating the Easter Rising earlier this year. Now, um, that probably is more of a political statement, um, but the fine is not the same level of the fine that's been issued to the, the FA and to the Scottish FA. So there's, an, mm. there's another inconsistency in the application of these rules. And why is it only the, the football clubs from these islands that are getting hammered here? There's football clubs around the world make political statements, and football FAs make political statements all the time. Yet why is it let's turn the guns on the UK? That, I've, I've got a distinct impression Gianni and Fantino is just wanting to make waves to say, look at me, I'm the, I'm the big, big man, man now, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and protect his newfound position, which is already being undermined from within. It's, it's crazy. The, the whole organisation needs to have a, yet another damn hard look at itself and say, you know what, something's going awry here, and I still stand by my assertion. It won't be long before the big clubs that hold the real money and the real power in, the, in, in, in football in Europe turn around and say, we've had enough of this, and we've had enough of you, and we're going to break away and sod you in the world game. And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm telling you, we're, we're close to civil war within the, within the football ranks if, if we're not careful, and if FIFA aren't careful. Peter? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it is because, it, it, like I said, the arc, it does seem like they're, they're kind of picking on the British Isles. Um, I mean, we're probably, we've probably got the most powerful league in the, in the world in terms of you know, generating money and things like that. I mean, you see the new figures that are coming out for, for showing the Premier League and, and all over the world. And you know, maybe the, the FIFA want a bit of that slice of that pie by you know, trying to find Find the English FA over a, over a nonsense kind of uh, whatever, but I just I just think it, it is it's just trying to create a, like Neil said a civil war when it's mm-hmm. literally it's over it's not over nothing in terms of our tradition, mm-hmm. but it's over nothing in terms of the actual scale of the the argument. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a a nitpicking um, issue for me. Uh, I just think it, it mm-hmm. will. You know, it's, it's going to become a point when the FA, and the Irish FA, the Scottish FA, and so on, you know, within the British Isles, have have got to, you know, kind of make a stand. Say, well, you know, kind of shove two fingers up at you, and mm-hmm. we'll go off and do our own thing. And I, and I don't think there'll be, uh, or I think there'll be, you know, a few other associations throughout the, the Europe and the world that probably, you know, they might come and join on our bandwagon. Yeah, I think it's uh, the, the interesting thing I found over the weekend before this hit was the fact that uh, Gary Neville was on the. Um, um, the sports supplement talking to journalists about their responsibility to, you know, England football team predominantly, but it's also linked to Scotland, Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland, whoever. Did you follow that at all, because uh, Peter? Because he's like trying to say that the, the, the journalists are obviously he he calls a betrayal of their nation because they take they were taken rotors these journalists. Uh, to actually spy in the English football team, so they can try and get the team, um, you know, out the new, out the newspapers, which obviously affects uh, our rivals from playing against us you know, if they know the team ahead of time. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's 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 
it's kind of one of those things in football, you know. You, if you're not, if you were as a player or not in the team, then you know sometimes you might drop a little text to to somebody on the up on opposing team. You know, such and such is playing, such and such is, and things like that. But for and and that can be kind of within football, and I've seen it, and you know I've known it. And we've been advantage and disadvantage to it. But for your own press to do it, your own you know your own kind of people who who I believe you know should should want you to win. Let's be let's be honest with you. If we make if we make tournaments, the journalists get you know probably get a free trip out of it. Probably yeah. get a, a great little holiday as well as going to watch football. You know they can write what they want where they're there and then, but to be able to get there, you know the English national team or whoever have got to do well. And you know I do think this, there is a little bit of a trail that you know things like this happen from from our press. But you know I've got my views and thoughts on that from being within the game as a player. You know you often see things written that you know for a hundred percent fact are, are false um, but it's it, it's created a headline and it's created a storm within a, within a, within a teacup so mm-hmm. I do agree with a little bit with Gary Neville and he's probably seen it more so than anybody else obviously being involved in, uh, mm-hmm. in the England camp over the Euro you know, 2016 campaign that, and, and you know most journalists do kind of follow them around and try and stay in hotels and mm-hmm. you know try and befriend players and you know if, if What's it like for you then? Because obviously I know, obviously you you've been in the game a long, long time. So what's that like then? Because it's you know obviously somebody's you know obviously when you're at Newcastle, uh, you had Alan Oliver, you had John Gibson. Um, you know I think obviously I don't know them that well, but when it comes to straight shooting, but obviously you'd say something and and then a performance comes in, and then they would, then you'd meet them afterwards. But what was that like for you? Because Obviously, we'll we'll get into what you do now, but like just t- take us back a little bit. Yeah, I mean, when we obviously when we used to go, uh, I played the campaign when we were in Europe. Uh, what was it? Maybe two thousand six, seven, or maybe five, six. One of the two. Um, you know, like we sh- we shared the the plane ride with the guys, and you know, some of them were in the hotels. Most of them, you know, I mean, the guys that you like, Mesrin, Job Gibson, mm-hmm. um, people like that. You know, Lee Ryder. Yeah. Yeah, Lee Ryder. I mean, they kind of tend to, they tend to stay. In their own hotels and things like that, and we we generally got on well with them. Um, we understand if we perform poorly or or something happens, then it's it's their job to write about it. You know, we're not we're not stupid enough to 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 know that you know that bad press is is part and parcel of the game. But you know, to deal with one on one and things like that, you know, I've, I've got a lot. The Miles Starforth, I've got on really well with. You know, it's it's. And there's, there's guys when I've been in London, at, at London clubs who have followed us away, and you do get to to know them, but you kind of, you know, the old the old saying, you know, you keep your friends close and enemies closer. <laughs> um, it, it, but it is, you know, because mm-hmm. one slip of the tongue and all of a sudden they've got that, they've got the headline story, um, and it's just part and parcel of the game. They're trying to get one up on you, you're not trying to give them an edge. And uh, obviously, if you perform well, invariably the right good stuff about you. Um, but it's it, it's 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 a funny situation. I mean, I never really liked when you know the journalists were when they were around the hotels because I kind of felt that that was our kind of sanctuary where we mm. can you know be able to relax and get prepared for a game. But you know, you go for a cup of coffee and you say the wrong thing, you you, you know, or you you're, you're always looking over your shoulder. Um, is, is the that behind you? You know, and whatnot. You might be calling somebody such and such off. You're not playing. Mm. You might be disgruntled and calling the manager worse than Muck or something. But it's but generally the ones I've ever come across have been, you know, that you're good to them, they're good to you, and um, sometimes that can that's got me, it's done me no harm anyway. Bit unnerving, isn't it? I think 
you know, like if somebody's that, oh, you've got uh, it, that's I'll the thing, that. friends are friends, aren't they? But well, yeah, hundred percent. That's the thing. I mean, it's these guys. I mean, I, I've I've known some of them for, for over you know fifteen, twenty years now, mm. and and the, when they've written well about me when I've when I've played well, and they've written badly when I play badly, and I, I I've come to understand that that's their job. At the end of the day, somebody's got to be a journalist, just as like somebody's mm-hmm. got to be a policeman, fireman, or, or a football player. Um, they're just doing their job. You know, it, it does. Even when you go out for social drink, or you bump into them on a night out, or for having a meal or something like that, you're still kind of wary of them. Mm-hmm. You wonder if they're, they're they're using you as an interview or are they using you as a chat. But generally, like I said, most of the ones that have, the guys that you mentioned, like the guys that you mentioned have, that have come mm-hmm. across, have been there, uh, are pretty good and pretty honest. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to ask you, Peter, have you been in a situation where you've had somebody in the dressing room run the press and carrying tales out from the dressing room from within? And if so, what? how does the dressing room react to that and what do you do about it? Uh, well, I've not, I've not kind of directly been involved in it, but I mean, obviously now with social media and mm-hmm. things like that, yeah. you know, the odd little tweet that goes out. I mean, I remember once, famously, when we beat Brighton down at... Uh, uh, for Crystal Palace down at Brighton in the, the semi-final playoff, Ian Holloway done like a, a little jig after the game, and all of a sudden it becomes viral. And you know, we had a little bit of a Ollie had a bit of a, uh, a go at the boys after that because you know what happens in the dressing room should stay in the dressing room, and I'm a big believer in that. Mm-hmm. I've never really had any come across a player who's you know gone and ran his mouth off about an incident or anything like that. Um, I've I've heard of tales that things have, and you know it kind of. It's kind of settled within the dressing room. Mm. It shouldn't happen, but it does happen. It happens in every walk of life, yeah. I can imagine, you know, and you know, in an office wherever in, in city centre Newcastle or city centre of London, I'm sure that you know there's workmates that might, you know, use an opportunity to to enhance their career by maybe you know telling a tale to to somebody high in a higher position. And um, like I said, it's it in foot in the football circles, you know, the doors locked and your, your view of your ears, whether it gets heated or not, that depends on the characters that are involved in. But it's it just generally kind of dealt with uh, in house, um, and invariably it costs somebody. The thing about it in football is, you know, it costs you your place in the team, which might mm. cost you your place in or a new contract or you know a move to somewhere else. You know, because if, if you're talking, you know, talking to to other teams or behind your back or other players or press or things like that that'll soon get round. You know, managers talk, mm. players talk. If anybody asks for a reference and, you know, Andrew, for example, has been talking to Uni about something that I'm going to say, well, nah, I wouldn't trust him, you know. And the chips are down, he might, you know, he might go and uh, start shouting his mouth off. So, mm. there's, a, there's got to look at it that way as well from a football point of view and it's a short career. Mm. I'm going to sit here and lie. You've got to try and make as much money as you possibly can. For those at the mm. top end of that scale, it's, it's a lot easier than the ones at the bottom and, you know, if you seem to be a grass in the dressing room, then it could, you know, it could cost you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's... that's uh, I'd heard something from a former Middlesbrough player about another former Middlesbrough player that everybody knew he was mouthing off at the press inside the dressing room, so they, they went through this period of just feeding them bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and watching it all come out in the press. Uh, and, and exposed them, exposed himself quite, quite nicely and problem sorted um yeah. I, I, did, I did enjoy hearing that tale quite amusing the way that it was told um and I, it, it's something which you, you kind of come across and people hint at every now and again and um, 
probably the sign of a, a less happy dressing room or an unhappy individual in the dressing room more than anything else. Yeah, and it, and it tends to be just an individual, mm. you know, or, or maybe one, two or three, and, and they tend to be the ones that aren't in the team. Right. Um, you yeah. know, maybe trying to do something to get them to get one up and get in, get themselves in the side, and invariably it ends up them on either on the transfer list or, you know, booted out the club. And no manager will want will want somebody like that in their dressing room. They'd far rather go with a younger player or a player who's you know not equally as as as, as good as this player, but because you can't trust them, then how can if you can't trust them on the in the dressing room, then how can you trust them on the pitch? So that's how I've always seen it as well. I was gonna I was gonna ask you. Obviously, um, I, I would suggest you're probably one of the, the hardest working. Uh, players when it comes to you know looking to play football your, your journey over the last two years has been somewhat interesting hasn't it considering yeah, yeah. that you know you've been in England you've been to India you've been to United States what, what's that like being in that uh, you know I suppose it could be I think um, when, you, when you're a free agent you can't get an, an, a nice wedge when it comes to moving to different continents and different places but Oh, we'll get the family bit, how it affects the family at the end of it. But what was it? What's it been like for you? Because it has been quite a, a interesting t- two years, hasn't it? And yeah. uh, ups and downs, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it was um, you know the kind of was the, well, the beginning of the season before last. Uh, you know, I got released obviously at Palace, and mm-hmm. um, I had a couple of options, and then the India India option came up, and it was a three month deal, and. I'm not going to sit here and lie. The money that was offered to me was was too good to turn down. Uh, you know, I was 30, 31, going on 32, and I mean, it was looking like I was going to be in League One or two. Which, with all due respect, there isn't the money there um, anymore that there was a few years back. And the, the opportunity to go out to India was more financial than anything else. However, when I went out there, it was an, it was probably one of the best decisions I made in my career, if I'm honest, because it was. Um, it was one of these that I looked at that all my friends went off and done their travelling, you know, when they finished uni and things like that. And I was, you know, stuck here. And obviously, whilst it was brilliant playing for Newcastle, you know, you had a little hint of uh, jealousy that these guys were going off around the world and experienced experiencing new you know, cultures and things like that. So, you know, I tried to take that um, kind of experience in, in going over to India, and I loved it. I really did. I really loved it. I mean, you, you've seen some. The, the most beautiful sights in the world, as well as the most, you know, heartbreaking sights, and mm. but that's just India, as you know. I mean, there's, you can go up to Northumberland, then you can end up in Walker. It's, uh, you know, there's that kind of thing in, in England, but it's, it was brilliant. And I loved it. It was, um, it was one of those, like I said, that I, if I turned down, I think I would have regretted. Uh, and it was only three months, which meant you know I could come back and try and play in England come January, which, you know, which I did. I obviously mm. went to Coventry and. It, I kind of knew what I was going into when I went there. I knew I was never going to play. Uh, I was always going to be a backup, you know, play a couple of games. And then, you know, uh, Nobby at, at Leighton Norrie and Kevin Nolan rang us up asking to go down for the last sort of two months, two, three months, which, mm. um, again, was a pack me bags and all three were down the, the M1 to, to Essex to Leighton Norrie. And that was great. That was, was Kevin Nolan, was it? Yeah, no. Kevin was oh, the, really? the manager at the time. Yeah, he was uh, he kind of just coming to the job. Um, was looking for a bit of experience in the dressing room. It was quite a young dressing room, um, and I loved it. You know, we were we just missed out on the playoffs, which was disappointing for one reason or another. You know, Kev Kev didn't last long after I arrived, which was disappointing. But again, that was more uh, more with 
the goings on upstairs in boardrooms than it was on the pitch. You know, we were doing all right, and I think if Kev was, you know, given that the opportunity to, to carry on at the end of the season, I think he would have got us there in the end. But um, you know, after strange. Kind of it was strange what happened there, wasn't it? Like, yeah, well, I don't know what Neil thinks, but we'll bring him in a sec. But like, what did you? He was there. Like, it was a bit of a, it was, he went in there quick, didn't he? I, I thought he went in there far too quick, the manager. But give me well, what do you think. In there, that was the thing. Prior to him actually getting the manager's job, he'd been keeping fit. He'd obviously left West Ham and was looking. Mm. He was doing his coaching badges, I think, at the time, and um, needed somewhere to be able to, to carry his practices out. And um, Orient was on his doorstep. Mm. Um, he went in. I think he got on really well with the boys. Mm. Uh, there was, you know, obviously whispers with him going there that he was looking to maybe get a playing deal. I think for whatever reason that didn't materialise, and then they had they went on a bit of a. A poor run, and mm. uh, the manager got sacked. And you know he mm. was he was looking to carry on in, in or carry into the next phase of his career, which is obviously coaching and managing. And you know this opportunity, I think, was too good for him to turn down. And you know I think his record was you know was quite good for somebody who was just starting out. And I think if he was given the time uh, to build uh, on what he'd already had there, then I think he would have been a success. Obviously, the the owner had different. Uh, different ideas but it was quite strange because you know he was seen as a player manager or he was his role was a player manager but you know he got sacked as the manager but the chairman mm. still wanted him to play which was um, one of the strangest things I've ever seen in football to be brutally honest with you that when he came into the dressing room on the Monday after the, after getting sacked on the Sunday you know he's normally a manager packs his, packs his bags and he's off but you know Kev came back from the manager's dressing room into the player's dressing room which was you know, awkward for him and awkward for us, but it was it was something that we had to deal with, and uh, it was great. Um, but then, yeah, obviously after the, the summer came and went, and you know, I had the opportunity, a couple of opportunities in England, but the America job came uh, came up through through Mark Bircham, who I used to be a QPR with, mm. um, and I went out there for a kind of a weeks to have a look, and I ended up staying there for ten weeks and um, thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, you know, I'm scheduled to go back out in February unless. You know, something pops up coaching-wise for me personally um, between now and then. So no, no, you can't do that. Come on, you, you, no, you, no, no, no. You can't. The thing is, it's such a great life over there. It it is, but I mean, it's like you were saying before. It, it's more. I mean, I'm gonna if I carry on playing, I'll carry on playing out there. It's mm. a good standard. Um, there's there's a progression in in the club that we've got out there. You know, we've just rebranded from Arizona United to. I mean, the, the names. Well, less said about the names, but it's Phoenix Rising Sun. <laughs> but it's the new owners. They've got this plan. They've got this vision, um, which you know looks looks fabulous. And um, I'd, you know, playing wise, it'd be great to be a part of. Um, but I've you know I've been I've been working you know working away whilst I've been back you know watching mm-hmm. coaching sessions, and I've kind of got that bug. And um, if the family aren't going to come out with uh, out with me, you know I'd I'd like to you know start that next phase. Hopefully somewhere maybe in England. So the wife and kids are going to stay if you when you go back when you do to go back there in January February. is it or no middle February. of February we, our pre-season starts the season starts the middle of March I think but I mean we've we struggle to get the kids in school um, mm. you know I've having kind of town hopped for the last couple of years we finally settled up in Newcastle and I want the kids to grow up with the same set of friends that you know that both me and my wife mm. kind of yeah. the way we grew up um, I think it's important that they have a settled. Uh, a settled life, settled background, which you know it's going to be hard for me. Something that I'm going to have to kind of mentally prepare because I'm going to miss out on the loss. But it's this will probably be the last playing year of, of my career before I 
you know, take the step to, to jump the fence and go on to the coaching side of things. So, but like I said, if something comes up between now and then, which enables me to stay with the family and, you know, maybe start a new career in coaching-wise or, or something else, then, you know, that decision is going to have to be made. Uh, it'll not be easy one to make. Yeah, it's, 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 it's obviously, I think in, when you were in India, I think we talked about, obviously talked about this before, I think, but when you, I think when you're, you have to fly a lot. It's is it, it's similar in the US, isn't it? Because the uh, the clubs are so far away from each other, that must be a like. I remember uh, I remember uh, Stephen Gerrard mentioned the same thing about the travel. And I must I, I, I when he said that I was like, do you know what? The fact that his obviously his wife has had kids that stayed in obviously Liverpool the whole lives, but they've got LA to live in. It's you know such a obviously a great climate and obviously it's different with kids, isn't it? But when you, what's it what's it like for you? Because I would presume that the, the attendances aren't are they are they get are they going up over there? Are they are they on level of MLS? Or? Yeah, they're not on the level of the MLS. Um, mm. I mean, it's basically it's kind of like a reserve league. I mean, we play all the MLS sides. Mm. You know, we play the Galaxy. We went up to Vancouver to the Whitecaps. Um, I think we, we play a few others in and around the MLS sides. So it's Portland, Timberlands, uh, or Timberwolves or wherever they are. You know, team that Stephen Taylor was obviously that would play them. So, you know, we get like four or 5,000 at the games, uh, them kind of games, the MLS games. They're quite well supported, the, the kind of reserve sides. I mean, we, we we struggled because we our previous owner kind of basically took us and, and plopped us in, uh, if you want to use a, a map kind of thing, we plopped us in Berwick. Um, from from Newcastle, it was mm. it was an hour outside of outside of Phoenix, which wasn't great, wasn't brilliant, but it it was cheap and chips cheap and chips for him. But the travelling, it's just part and parcel of, of, of you know American, well American soccer or American football, however you want to call it. Um, but I mean, Gerard had the had the brilliant lifestyle. You know, he's in LA, he's mm. millions in the bank. He can afford to you know bring his kids over in private mm. school, and if he wanted, you know, it's it's mm. not as easy for. You know, me and novices like myself with with young kids like that. But it's it would be long term if if there was something to come of it. It would be a great lifestyle for my kids to grow up in. Um, Scottsdale, where we were based, we were put in, in lovely, um, you know, furnished apartments which mm. had swimming pools and and everything you could ever wish for for your family to grow up in. And you know, we have me and my wife have talked about it. Whether it comes to fruition or not, I don't know. Um, it's going to be hard to leave the the cold and wet and windy northeast to go and live in. You know Arizona, twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a week. But that, you know, that that that'll come if it needs sure. to be come. Go ahead. Like me living in it's Dubai, a, I bet he doesn't miss the northeast. It's a chore to come and live in the heat, like it's terrible. <laughs> terrible. It's a nightmare, mate. Tell you. Um, I've got a. Hey, you've you've had your fair share of interesting owners, mm. then. If you've got an owner who plunks yeah. your club in the middle of nowhere, and mm. you, the Italian lad at Leighton Orient sounds like he's as mad as a hat stand. Oh, he was. Uh, it was him and uh, Briatori at QPR, oh. who was. Oh God, uh, I, yeah, have I. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Briatori QPR, who done that four-year plan movie, which was um, it was interesting. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I I literally went the first day they started filming it. Um, and I was made aware of, you know, I mean, he, he made a big show and song and dance about this film that he was looking to produce and uh, and make on, on the, the rise of QPR. And, you know, he got his fairy tale ending and, and the fact that they got promoted uh, or we got promoted. But, you know, for me, he didn't come out looking uh, looking well, but he, he was happy with it, which was, was interesting. 
Is it right that the lad at Orient was subject to an extradition order in Albania? <laughs> they, were, they, they were after him or something like that. And yeah, he got banned for kicking yeah. Andy Essenthaler up the arse on the side of the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that, yeah. that was the week before I joined. He got... Um, I mean, the FA, were, uh, the FA were trying to get us to, to uh, do, I don't know, some sort of report on him. I think the FA were trying to kick him out anyway. I think it was the... Like the Albanian Mafia or something daft like that right. was asking for unpaid taxes. <laughs> what, what, what the Albanian Mafia are taxing them on is even more of an issue, but I, I don't know what that was. But yeah, he was um, he was a he was a character too. Even though know, he was in the dressing room before, during and after games, just like Flavio was. I think it was kind of just that uh, it, it, Italian. It is what- is one of the owners of the club you're at at the moment uh, something to do? Is, is it, isn't it one of one of the owners, one of the bassists, so a fallout boy or something like that? Yeah, Diplo. Well, I don't know if it's that, but Diplo, the musician. Um, right. Diplo, and then we've got uh, another one of part owners, Brandon McCarthy, who's a, a starting pitcher for the LA Dodgers. Um, right. They're trying to they're trying to incorporate kind of a broad spectrum of businessmen involved in it, from sportsmen right. through to musicians um these guys have got general interests they're actually from the area you know brandon mccarthy we've met a couple of times he's he's a great bloke he was, he was coming to our games um you know flying in his private jet no doubt into phoenix from yeah. la which is only a couple of hours far. i don't think it's a couple mm-hmm. of hours i think it was about an hour flight you know diplo was at a few of our games he played a kind of concert before one of them which was you know for the american he's, he's huge in america i didn't really know who he was before i went out you know i listened Talksport on the radio or dub whatever it's it's one of them it's but these musicians apparently were kind quite big and there's the new guy that's come in uh apparently is a is a big wig win within the, the american government too so yeah <laughs> i've got a question on the on china obviously because it seems to be rearing its its head and it's interesting what conte said that china is becoming a danger to world football and you we say that but um What's his name? Oscar is going there. He's going to be paid a five hundred thousand pounds a week. Now, there's something. Uh, no matter how many how many ways you want to crunch that number, there's something wrong about that happening. Because obviously, they, you know, I think um, um, one of our Newcastle United ex-players is out there, and. Um, yeah, that's Pap- Papis, uh, Papi Sisse is in mm-hmm. China. Um, but it comes to me, and plus I, I believe they're, they're looking to get Tevez out there, and Tevez has been saying for years he's, he wants to live in Argentina with his kids. And that this is the thing, isn't it? The, I think because you've got a short career, but all of these players on that level have made so much money, and it, it, comes, a, it comes, for me, it comes a bit more scumbaggery that they yeah, they're going to go there. And you look at Oscar, and I think what uh, I think uh, Neil mentioned this when uh, Gian went to China and he came back for the window. Mm-hmm. And maybe Neil can go on about that one. But well, um, I, I can expand on that, mate. Yeah, go ahead. We see it here because obviously the clubs here in the UAE, which is not a poor part of the world, let's be honest, <laughs> um, compete against the Chinese clubs in the Asian Champions League. And so we meet, we, we see the teams here meet the Chinese clubs regularly and we see them play mm-hmm. each other regularly. And they see China as the danger because of the money. And, and, and mm-hmm. the best example of what happened is Guyan. Guyan went out to China from Al Ain, trebled his wages, 
and he was on a hell of a lot of money at Alien. He was on twice what he was on at Sunderland when he went to Alien. The Chinese club had trebled his wages, and then he's come back and he's joined Al Ahly. Mm. Um, but Al Ahly are only paying a third of his wage. The, the Chinese club are still subsidising Guyan's wage, um, and they don't give him monkeys. Um, the, the amount of money that seems to be dripping through to the game from China, but they're using it in really weird ways and paying lots of money for strange players. Um, shall we say it might be an interesting laundry service for certain types of money? Who knows? It's a, it's, but it's a big threat to the game. It's certainly a big threat to the game in this part of the world because the power shift, the traditional powerhouses of, uh, of football in Asia have been the Middle East and Korea. And now... Here comes China from the from from out of nowhere, and the clubs are gobbling up players, and and they're making it hard for even teams here in Dubai to say to players, "Well, come here because we can give you this, mm. we can give you that, we can do whatever." Because China can say we can give you all of that times three. Mm. It's it's crazy. I think it is. I mean, I mean, you look at is it Graziana Pella that went on reported mm-hmm. 280, 300 grand a week from Southampton. I mean, mm-hmm. he's the kind of player which I don't begrudge going because he's 30 year old. Yeah. Um, he's not really, he's not really going to get to that next level in terms of a Champions League club. So he's gone for the money, which they're playing to him. But you know, for me, Oscars, I think it's the, the worst movie you could possibly make. He's I don't know, was it 25, 26 25? Year old? Yep. 25. 25 year old. I mean, you've got reportedly Juventus interested in you. You can go to Italy for three, four years, probably win the Serie, uh, you know, Serie A, but then three, four years, have a chance to you know, win the Champions League. I mean, he's not going to be on a, you know, a pittance at Chelsea at the minute, and he's not going to be on a pittance at Juventus when he goes there. He's going to be still earning astronomical amounts of money in, in you know, the relative terms, and uh, you can go to China having probably get tenfold, even more so, when he's got you know a few more medals in his back pockets, which I just find flabbergasting that he's, he's considering going now. He's obviously I'll going for the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you the next strange move that will happen is I bet two or three of these players start turning up with Chinese passports. Yeah. Because, because that's already happened over here. The, um, the Asian Football Conference have found um, Palestine because the Palestinian FA pitched up with a Brazilian with a well-dodgy Palestinian passport based on some connection to a club in Brazil called Palestine. Uh, and it was some convoluted story about how he's got this passport. And now, pound to a penny, some of these players are going to start turning up with Chinese passports mm-hmm. and they're going to say China's trying to start to field some of these players in, in say, Asian football conference games and things like that and this is where it just gets very murky and very weird for me the thing about <laughs> um, as well is, i mean the, the actual chinese national team aren't doing anything you know they're spending no. all this money within their league on bringing mm. you know world-class superstars well world-class players to come over but they're actually not even developing their own league just imagine how much more appealing it would be if you know that the china got to a world cup or started winning the asian cups and mm-hmm. things like that i mean Definitely seen it here in the UAE, where they've got rules about how many foreigners you can have in. Um, and you, over the last, certainly in my time in Dubai, the UAE national team have jumped up two or three levels in, in class and performance. Mm-hmm. And you can see that they understand the game better. And some, and some of their better players are the ones who are homegrown, brought through from the clubs, from kids, 
and they've been playing alongside better players and you can see everything's coming up. I have quite a long chat on, on, on now, and, now and again uh, when I bump into him with Roy Aitken and he, he, mm. he, he's here as he's, um, sporting director at Al, at Al Ahly and he, he keeps trying to retire and the shit keeps not letting him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is kind of that's the way it works yeah really um, and, and certainly he has seen a big shift since he first came over with uh, I think it was David O'Leary who he first came over with mm-hmm. uh, and there's this big shift in, in quality of the young national players and then in the transfers now that are happening between UAE clubs for the UAE players are now quite almost as significant as bringing the foreign players in and that's quite a shift yeah. Yeah, it's it's it is that's just the worst thing about when it comes to football. It you want it to be you know, you want it to go to markets that can appreciate what's going on, but you know, the FA themselves they've just sold rights as well, I believe, uh, to another 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 country. Um I can't I remember that country now, but that that things are all tapping into it. But I I'm, I don't get excited by watching the premiership anymore. Not because Newcastle aren't in it. It's just it comes, you know, there isn't there isn't that much going on. I think the only thing the weekend was basically when you saw Vardy. Like I haven't even seen the tackle because I didn't watch it. But it, like Vardy was going two footed in when he was off balance and all this stuffs going on. But it's obviously it's selling the product. But when it comes to selling the product, you think, well, okay, you, you want to have the best players in there. And um, now we've got now we've got to the stage now we're getting. Um, a lot of good managers coming in, like obviously Conte's coming in, you've got Mourinho, there's so many subplots, that's why it keeps it going, but, uh, and, it, and also getting back to the US, US market, Peter, they they had a, a big name in um, in Klinsman, and they sacked him, and they've gone back to Bruce Arena, and to me that's a step back for the football, what's it been, actually before I, bring, before I do that in, I'll bring in um, Keith, I'll bring in Keith McStay, um, I bring in Keith Mc, I bring in Keith McStay, who is a, a Sun fan and an occasional, uh, you know, observer of Newcastle United. I don't know if you know Peter Ramage. Uh, is Keith McStay? No, not personally, but I'm aware of him. Uh, but how are you doing, Peter? All right. I'm very good, thank you. How are you, mate? Uh, not a Sunderland fan. I'm aware of that. I have to do <laughs> research on that. I've got that, that much in common there. Uh, I've actually just been standing there. I don't know if you've seen the picture, Andrew. Uh, yeah, I have you. With. with uh, John Robs, but I, you know, so who's out in the states, but uh, he obviously has an opinion of what's going on over there. But no, no, it's a good weekend for for both. Not well, all North East sides mm. uh, this weekend, wasn't it? Even including the Borough, you know, not a bad little run. Mm. Yeah, it's, what do you think, Peter? It's I think the North East, you know, obviously Newcastle's a beast in, in its own, but I think for for Sunderland. Um, with Moyes and the, the unbelievable news that basically they're not going to be they're not going to be allowed to buy anybody even alone, it's quite shocking on the Sunderland front, isn't it, Peter? It is. You know, it's sad for for that kind of news to come out. I mean, I think to be brutally honest with you, while Sun when Newcastle sorry are doing really well this season, we're all missing the derby games. So you know, for me personally, time, I don't want to yeah. see them, I don't want to see them go down. I mean, obviously, I want Newcastle to go up. And I want both Middlesbrough and Sunderland, you know, finish 16th and 17th, which one I don't really care, you know, as long as they stay up. But it's it's sad to see that, you know, he's not going to be given that opportunity. That he was, I mean, whether he was promised, he says he was promised or not, he probably was, that he was going to be given money, and he's not. And they're obviously, year after year, they're, they're fighting 
relegation. He hasn't really got his players there that he probably wants to to play in his style and his mm-hmm. formation and things like that. He's kind of trying to... I mean, I know he brought in Love, he brought in McNair, Yanazai, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, this January would have been you know, a real push to be able to, to bring in a couple that, you know, sat like Sam Allardyce did last January to you know, keep them up, which is what he did. And, uh, you know, I've no doubt that Moyes would have been able to do that if he had been able to bring his own players in. But, so it's going, to be, it's going to be tough for them. It's going to be really tough for Sun to stay up. I, I hope they do, like I said, just so hopefully Newcastle will go up and we have the derbies again this season. But, you know, I've got a few Sunderland friends who are, you know, are not looking at the second half of the season with a lot of optimism after hearing that news. Yeah, it is though. I think I think uh, he, it's been said as the position stands, he'll not be he'll not be by anybody. But that's as it stands. It's not it's inevitable because he'll be selling, and Corny has obviously got a price on his head mm. that will fund a lot of signings. Now let's be realistic. Sam, it's three cracking signings out of four last January. Although Kirchhoff now proceeded to be injured, but he was significant in what he did. He was seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Kazri was a snip. Uh, what else? Uh, we, we didn't, you know, Allardyce didn't spend big in that window. What he basically done was he, he bought players who could do a job. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what Moyes can do, and that's where I believe he's got to earn his trust. Because if he does t- cash in on one player, which it looks highly likely, even possibly two Pickford's being rumoured in many uh, publications mm-hmm. that he could be away. So that was free of cash, but. I've said, Peter, on this show a few times, and just among my pals, general chatting, um, Moyes has spent money on two players, 13.5 million mm-hmm. and uh, 8 million on Endong and Jilabodji. And, you know, we're talking 20 million plus here, and they have not been my best performers. The ones he's brought in free in Itchibi has been a revelation somewhat. Yeah. So, you know, there, there is deals to be done with players who are either on 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 the uh, B team at a at a uh, big club, just not getting a game and just uh, getting a run out, you know, with under twenty ones. Means there could be a half decent player there. That's what he's got to do his homework and and get them deals through the door. And if it is just for six months on loan, you know, so he has got a job to do. He's getting paid handsomely for it. Uh, yeah. He'll not be getting a pay pay cut during these non-spending times and transfers. He'll still be getting his wages, and I don't believe for one moment. He he came out after two or three games and said, "Look, like Watson, then you know what to expect. You've been in the relegation battle last four or five seasons. That's what to expect." So if he was announcing that, he knew what to expect when he was taking that job. He knew the club wasn't awash with money. Maybe he might have been indicated that there was more. He said he didn't know the club was for sale, but he had a good idea. You know, people in football do talk. He's getting the inside info as well. Mm. Moyes wasn't. Like, you know, so naive. He hadn't been off the planet, you know. He knew we were struggling as a club. And I think he's got to act accordingly and work around it. What do you think, no. Peter? Because he was kind of, he kind of said in midweek he was taught he was lied to. Really, that's what he said. Yeah, well, I mean, I, 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 I'm only, you know, what Keith's saying, he probably knows what he, he definitely knows the club better than me. I'm only seeing and reading and, and seeing what I'm reading and, mm. and hearing on the, the, the TV and in the newspapers and, you know, he has he has spent a, you know a, a bit of a penny on the when he was given it when he first came in the job, and you know I would have thought he would have been expecting a few more quid come uh, come January, and and if he's you know been told that and then not going to get any money, he has been lied to, and it you know it'll be will be hard for a manager. Obviously now you've got these trans, it's, you've only got your transfer windows to to kind of get the kind of players that you want in. I'm sure that he didn't get all of his targets that he wanted in. 
in in the August window, and you know maybe he did have to spend over the odds on on the two players that that Keith said there that he, you know maybe he didn't really want or didn't see that they were going to uh, be the ones that helped them. I think a player who as well is going to be a big miss is Watmore because yeah, you know while he's not a, a, a natural mm. natural goal scorer, what he brings to the side is a lot of energy and a lot of willingness and plus he's you know he's a Sunderland fan he's a Sunderland man and I think he's someone who the fans you know when the chips are down can look at and see him you know running round and you know bleeding for the shirt and to have him missing as well is going to be a, a major loss on top of the fact that he's not going to get any money so he's losing he's not only losing out on bringing players but he's also losing out on a you know one of his maybe blue chip soldiers that he can you know he can stick his hat on and know that he's going to get you know performance on a Saturday from yeah, uh, well, one of many injuries as it happens, we have been, you know, you, you get some clubs bleating on, you know, we've got X, Y, and Z injuries. Sunderland have had a horrific season mm. on top of everything else, losing the manager and the summer, some of the fashion that was. Players, you know, that have just fell by the wayside this, this season, just, you couldn't have wrote it, you know. But mm. look, at the reality is, again, not harking back to the Allardyce days, but you would expect Moyes on the salary he's on to act accordingly in January. Real and deal with players cashing on one whose room at 18, 20 million, whatever that ends up being, it's a lot of money. And you could, with, with 18 to 20 million, you could buy two good signings and pull in a loan signing. He's got, he's got the manoeuvre himself and he must be away. He's got, he's a, a Premier League manager. It's been at like two cracking clubs, Everton and Man United. So he must have some contacts. He must know who's sitting on the bench somewhere, who's not getting the game, who's returning from injury and on, and maybe not going to be match fit for Man United, but be ideal for us, you know. And I'm not just talking because he's been a man. You could be another club, could be somebody sitting at Liverpool or Spurs. He must have the names in his phone book that I don't have. Otherwise, he might as well give me the job and I'll start ringing around, you know. But I, I think he's going to prove his, his worth in January. And uh, I think we'll, I think we'll actually do all right when I see when our spirits are lifted. We're still not on his back. We're not on the players' back. I still think there's a chance and there's enough points getting dropped by other teams around us that he's just got to string three wins to get out of four or five. And the, the bottom of the league can look totally different. Exactly. I think that's the point as well. I mean, there's there's so many teams out of form in the Premier League at the minute. You know, Swansea, Hull, Palace at the minute. You know, are in free fall. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's teams down there, Burnley. You know, they can get dragged into it. So there's, you know, as well as everybody's talking about, you know, runaway leaders in the top four. I think it's going to be a great watch for the neutrals as to who goes down because I think there's there's at least half a dozen teams sunderland in that that, you know, will be fighting to stay in the Premier League and it's going to be, you know, the, who can hold their nerve, you know, who can stay clear of injury uh, or keep their key players clear of injury and uh, and get on a little bit of a run like Sunderland did last season to stay up. I was going to say, Keith, uh, obviously you heard this week these, uh, Mr Short's trying to sell the club. Do you think that uh, Moyes would have known that before he even took over? Well, again... He claims that he doesn't. He didn't know, but you know, it is. It's possible at any football club for it to be sold. You know, he's at Everton, mm-hmm. and there was takeover battles and lack of money there. And you know, Ken Wright was like looking for funding, etc. It's always possible. You know, you've got to remember he's just an employee at the end mm-hmm. of the day, and he's been asked to do a job on a salary 
And no matter who your boss is, if there's a takeover of your company, it should not affect him. And by the way, it shouldn't affect the players as well, who owns the club. So if it was to be sold the very day afterwards that he got in there, it wouldn't matter. He's got a three-year contract. His wages would remain exactly the same. And his job description is exactly the same. So look at Yeah, he maybe didn't quite have the full picture, but so what? He's a football mm. manager at the highest level. And he's been at the very highest of football clubs. He should be able to cope with it. So I don't know what his point is on that, you know. Yeah, he's not, he's, he's not a fan, Peter, as you can, <laughs> as you can No, no, but I, I'm wondering, no, to be honest, I, I, I've turned around, I mean, I, I'm enjoying mm. the well, wins, and, Winning, you know, yeah. he actually hasn't had a bad run, but I've got to think, like, sometimes you just see stuff that's just not necessary. What is his point? Is it for when he does ultimately leave or lose his job, he's going to say, oh, well, it wasn't me. Just get on and, and manage, manage. If he doesn't manage, he's doing it. I said that, I'll run down 20 steps and uh, swap seats with him any day of the week, no problem at all. I'll take that salary and the responsibility. I'll tell you what it is, me press conference will be more passionate than his. That's what it is. <laughs> I think, I think when it comes to Peter, when it comes to David Moyes, he's, he was tried and tested at Everton. He got, play, he got players in cheap as chips and he's, he made them into, you know, in some cases, I wouldn't say world beaters, but he, he made them into, into a robust outfit. I think yeah. the fact, the, the problem with the fact that they're looking to sell, they're looking to sell, yeah. uh, they're going to bring... Go ahead. I mean, that's the thing. I think if they are looking to sell, you know, you talk about you know Coney maybe going, you know, for double figures in the millions. How much of that money is he going to see if if Ellis is trying to sell the club? You know, is he going to want to keep that money for himself? Because at the end of the day, if he gives him all that money, it's less money for him. Um, there's going to obviously be that power struggle in terms of what he's going to be able to spend. Um, and invariably in January, a player's uh, valuation is, you know, he could be worth five million in August. All of a sudden, because you're desperate, he's ten million in January. Uh, so mm-hmm. you, there's going to be it's going to be interesting to see if they do sell, how much of that money is going to be given, um, and if certainly if the owner's going to be or looking to sell the football club, then is he going to you know part with x amount of money for for Moyes to be able to bring players in? It's going to be going to be interesting to see from from us me and. Neutrals and you know it could be it could be nail biting stuff for for Sunderland fans come you know the end of January. Well, what's your thoughts? Though, yeah, go ahead. Just when you you know if you if you think about putting your house up for sale, you know you make it look as clean as possible. You tidy up, and if you've got a leaky tap in the kitchen, you sort it. What is, is Alice a show doing? Announcing and putting his CEO out, mm. announcing all the bad points about the club, and simultaneously putting it up for sale. You think like, why is he trying to get the bottom dollar for his for his properties rather than top dollar? It's a case of he's announced all the bad points. What he should do is put on a braver front. And to be honest, I don't want the fans to be con because he cannot con. We've been there. We can see what's out in the pitch. You can see who's not so good and who's not like a blue chip player. But you have to prove it. We don't need to actually ram down my throat now. If he's choosing to sell it, just crack on and sell it. He's had your manager. Mm. on and off selling his, and I'll tell you what it is, if a phone call come at the right price, everything's up for sale in business. So your club would be gone within, you know, one telephone call mm. with the right number attached to it. So don't kid yourself, that is the nature. That's what I'm saying. I'm shocked by Short's style of selling it, by sort of underselling it and dressing up dreadfully rather than at its smartest. But at the same time, managers that have said just in the last few sentences, 
they've just got to get on with it because that, that club's always up for sale. Roman Abramovich could have had enough and just said, like, you know, Man City, the Sheikhs might have enough one time to see, look at that, so it's out. You can never tell. There's football clubs changing hands, not every week, but every season, one or two, go, you know, the Chinese or wherever. So that, that can always happen. And your club's certainly more of a, a, sell, a sellable asset if it's in the Premier League than it, if it's Correct. in the Championship. You know, so you maybe, I mean, from from the other argument, from a fan's point of view, I'm saying here, maybe it would be best for Ellis Short to maybe part with the, for argument's sake, the 15, 20 million he's going to get for these couple of players to, to reinvest or give to David Moyes to reinvest, try and keep them in the Premier League, especially with the money that they're in the league now. It, you know, it can, it can be an absolute gravy train for somebody looking to come in. Neil, what do you think about Alice Shaw trying to sell it from underneath, um, well, David Moyes, essentially? I thought it was common knowledge that he's been trying to sell it for the last 18 months. Yeah, and that He'd made some comment not that long ago that he wasn't going to blow his family fortune the way that the guy that owned Aston Villa did. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he's made that pretty clear. I, I, I can seem to think that of whether that's my mind playing tricks with us, it could be as, as much as... 80 months that this has been sort of on off. I think it's been, a, I think it, as Keith quite rightly says, every club's pretty much up for sale if the right numbers attached to it. You know, our owner's got a history, and I can tell you from from trying to agree numbers way back when when dealing with 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 good old Derek. Um, once you agree that right number, you can guarantee the minute you walk in the room with a man, there's another hundred million goes on top of it, and that's certainly what's happened. But that's because what he, what he, what the way Ashley does it is always was fishing. He was always fishing for the big, big Chinese bid, and I guess that's kind of what Short's trying to do. And again, quite rightly, you say you're going to get more money in the Premier League, even more so now with the new television deals kicking in. Um, and, and I think it's about if somebody pushes the button with the right amount of, with the right number on, anybody's going to sell. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's something we've kind of got to get used to, unfortunately. Now, again, Keith quite rightly says, if if Moyes didn't have a clue that any of this was going on when he came into the club, he's not in the right he's not in the right job. Mm-hmm. He's not a stupid man, or he shouldn't be, and he's managed some big football clubs. And now it's up to him to prove himself as a manager to work with what he's got. You know, at least, and I tell you this, at least he knows what he's got now. He's not going into January thinking, oh, I'm I'm going to have myself a little kitty to play with you. He knows he's got to generate his own or be damned. And it's one or the other. And even if they don't add to that squad, I still am adamant there's three worst teams in Sunderland in that league. Yeah. From what I've seen this season, there's yeah. three worst teams in Sunderland in that league. Sunderland will not go yeah. down this season. So after the, after the win, uh, uh, Keith, before I have to cut you off and bring in uh, Steve Hasty, but like, are you more, are you more pe- uh, pessimistic now or optimistic that um, after the the wins that you are eking out that that you might survive or you you think you'll do well the weekend? Listen, I'm always positive. You've got to remember, we've been to what was the old third, so everything's mm. better than it was. And hey, we're winning games. You know, okay, the Swansea game was dreadful. We should have at least got a point from that. It was dreadful. Mm. But the weekend was a, a pretty poor performance generally, but it was a winning performance still at the end of the day. So totally positive. I'm loving that, Andrew. That, that Neil's just said a few times that he agrees with because he likes what I'm saying. I'm right on many things. I'm right on everything. I'm like Muhammad Ali of the football world. I am the greatest. I've got you all on site. Seriously, team, 
They're never going to be world beaters, but it's my team, and I'm, of course I'm positive because I, I mentioned that. There's three or four teams throwing away points. We're one of them, but we're winning them as well. We haven't been drawing games. We've won you know, three out of four, then lost one, then won again. We've, we've won like, you know, four games out of seven. is not bad. Like Lately, you know, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, we've got to keep on winning and nick that point here and there. We've got some okay fixtures. You know, We've got Burnley coming up soon. You know, we've got a, a few things that we can nick. We've got Liverpool coming up soon, but you know, you've got to think they are up and down. They throw away mm-hmm. points. So you've got to think, hey, is there a chance of getting them on that back foot one time? Mm-hmm. You know, everything you've got a fighting chance if you go out with a will to win. And our players who have been fit and shown it, I mean, Van Arnhold, goodness me, he's made a couple of errors in his time, and people have gone his back about that. But very briefly, God, he, he's performing really well. A goal scoring left back, it's excellent to see. So I'm a happy boy. I kind of complain. If we get a few points, you've got to go to a match with hope. Otherwise, you might as well never, ever go, you know. So, mm-hmm. yes, I'm hopeful. Pretty positive that we're going to always pull it up. But I'd like to see we pull it off a lot sooner. I get a few of these wins on the board now rather than mm-hmm. like the last week of the season, as we always do. So Moyes got to prove himself in, in January. That's how I'm seeing this before we head off to the sunshine well, at Christmas. Well, the, the good thing is uh, Neil's going to be in Geordie Line quite soon and we can all catch up for a drink and obviously Keith's going to be paying. So. But uh, we'll <laughs> more, uh, more on that uh, as, as we get it. But thanks for coming on, Keith. We'll talk to you quite well, soon, OK? Look after yourself, Peter. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Thank you. Well, good, a good an evening for Steve Hasty uh, on the line from Newcastle Fans Forum. You're live with Peter Ramage. Go ahead, Steve. Hello, and guys. Neil. All right. How are you, How are doing? You okay? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Very good. Excellent, excellent. Uh, he was quite positive that lad, wasn't he? <laughs> 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 I, I could, I could have brought him down a peg or two just, just, to, just to stifle him. But I thought, no, I'll, I'll not chip in. I'll not chip in. I'll just, I'll just let him go. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil his Christmas because they'll spoil it for him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it obviously when um, when Peter was at Newcastle. Uh, uh, he's probably one of one of your favourite players because he's honest. Uh, put his foot in. Well, you know, put his foot in somewhere. But like, um, what's your thoughts on on the fact that uh, you know he's been everywhere? Really, he's been when it comes to football, he's going everywhere. But he's he's thinking about uh, obviously coming back to Newcastle and uh, you know taking taking going to the next stage of coaching. Uh, Peter's a, uh, Peter's a true Jody, isn't he? Steve Ray told us to say that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, Peter lived the dream that I think uh, most most lads uh, with any gumption about them would love to have done, and I think it's fabulous when you know when you <clears throat> when you get youngsters like at, at the time Peter breaking into the squad uh, with established players and holding his own, and, mm. and we've got it with Paul Dummett now who's done exactly yeah. the same. We've seen it uh, we've seen it down the years. We've seen Joe Allen uh, get an opportunity. I think it's very rare, isn't it, Peter, that that, that lads like yourselves get that opportunity but when you do you grasp it with both hands and, and you, you'll never forget it put it that way No exactly I mean that's the, the you know I used to kick about with a black and white shirt on when I was a kid dreaming of play, you know walking out to St James's Park scoring at the Gallagher you know all that all the, the dreams that every Jody has and um, you know I've never proclaimed to, uh, proclaimed, sorry, to be the the greatest player, but you know, I, I worked my socks off to get to where I did, and like I said, lived the dream and, and wore the shirt 69 times, which was 
I could tell you probably each and every single game and, and what happened in them because, you know, that's what I dream, dreamt of doing. And, you know, like you said, there's, it's, it, there's not many of us get to go and do it. Um, you know, out of the, the 13 that went in at my age group, there's only me and Chops that went on to play. And, you know, the, the numbers have got less and less as the years have gone on. So it's, you know, it's a privilege to, to have done and an honour to have done it. And it's just great to see, you know, like you said, Dummett coming through um, and, you know, going on to establish himself as, you know, probably the first choice left back, even though he's a centre half. And, you know, players like Adam Armstrong coming through and, and, and making the debut uh, and playing games. And, and there's going to be kids coming through and doing it in the future. And, you know, every time one does, it's, it's another dream that's been realised. And yeah, it's great to see. And I think, you know, going all the way back to what Sir John Hall said, he would, you know, he would love to see 11 Geordies. Um, in a black and white shirt on a Saturday afternoon, you know it's it's probably never going to happen. But every time that one does, it's it's great for the neutral to see you know one of their own doing well. What yeah. do you think on? Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, Peter. So when you you talk about Paul Dummett there and you said centre half, obviously you you played uh, right back for Newcastle, but then you you know your career has been very much in the central defence as well, hasn't it? Is that is that is it something that that you? Uh, always thought you were a, a, a sort of centre back, and, and or did you just drift there? Did it no, arise? How did it happen? Before I made my debut, I think I could count on one hand the amount of times I played at fullback. I was a I came through as a centre off, and you know, like I said, out of all the games I played in Newcastle, I could maybe count on one hand the amount of times I played centre off. It was uh, I'd never, I'd never, you know, been coached as a fullback. I didn't know how to cross a ball when I made my debut. I'd never done any, you know, crossing or drills or things like that. It was kind of one of those you're playing right, right on you're playing right back. Get on with it, and um, <laughs> it was it was amazing how you know you, you you have to learn a new trade on the job. It was, uh, but it was one of those things. It's you know, you're not going to turn around to Graham soon and say, Ah, listen, I'm mm. not going to play right back. I've never played there before. You know, you're going to. I would have played in goal if I got told I was playing in goal. It was, <laughs> it was one of those things. I mean, you, to, to make your debut and to play, you play what you're told. And, you know, dumb, I, I mean, he's, I think he was. He, I mean, obviously, he's, he's left foot and probably played a lot more times at fullback coming through the ranks than I did when I was when I was there. But he's, he's made that position his own. Um, I do see progression for him in, into the centre of the in the defence. And I think he'll be an asset uh, to have. You know, we're going back all the years. Stevie Watson kind of played two, three hundred games at Newcastle, having been able to play everywhere. And you know, every squad kind of needs one of them players. Um, you know, that's not me trying to be disrespectful to Dummett because I think he's, yeah. I think he's a quality, quality player to have in the ranks. But we've seen over the years, you know, these kind of players that went once they've left. Aaron Hughes, another one to name. Yeah. When they've left, you know, that kind of that kind of role within the squad is uh, is kind of seen as is one that's missing because they could, you know, jack of all trade, master of none kind of phrase. You know, it's 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 great to have them kind of players in the in your in your ranks. He's, be, he's being linked. So he's being linked with um, Chris Apalis again, though. He always mm-hmm. with Mr. Pardew. Do you think he would go? Yeah. Uh you'd have to ask him. I mean, it's it's for me. Uh, it's it's one of those. It's a catch twenty two situation. He could probably go down there and make the, the, the position his own. You know, Palace are struggling. They haven't got a left back. You know, Papa Suarez obviously was in a, in a horrific car accident and doesn't look like he's going to play for the rest of the season. And you know, Martin Kelly and Joe Ward have been uh, doing the job between the two, one one week and one another. And so there is that position there to be to be filled. And 
yeah, he would have to see it as a as a chance to maybe play week in week out if they get in the Premier League. Is that a position that you know Rafa Benitez may look to to, to bolster? You know, he's obviously had uh, was at Gamers before. He obviously, you know, dislocated his shoulder badly. Mm-hmm. You know, he was playing. Maybe does does Benitez see him as his first choice? You know, they've mm-hmm. got the the other lad as a Lazar. Lazar, they've got him. You know, there's, so there's competition for places there. Whereas there's no competition for that kind of spot at Crystal Palace, so it's going to be if that you know move does uh, become more than a rumor, uh, he's going to have a tough tough choice. I mean, um, that where is where is he going to stay at home and uh, and be the like I said the Aaron Hughes or the Stevie Watson of, of Newcastle, or is he going to try and make a the, the, that left back spot if that's where he wants to be his own? Somewhere You've else. also got Andres Townsend, who's at <laughs> Crystal Palace. Uh, probably the yeah. worst decision he's ever made in his life, leaving Newcastle to go to Crystal Palace, where he's up against Zaha, and who's I don't care what anybody says, he's a he's a complete favourite of um, Alan Pardew. Yeah, I mean, Wilf, I've known Wilf since he was you know 18 year old, and he's mm. he was a talent then. Um, Andros, I played with Andros at Birmingham um, when I had a little stint there. He was there for. The six months I was there on loan two from Tottenham, so I've seen the qualities he had, and I'm surprised it hasn't worked for him to be brutally honest with you, because the way Palace play, it's mm. it's predominantly through the wingers. Uh, Wilf one side, Yala the other side. That's where they've got the success over the last four or five years in the Premier League that they've been in. It's, it's through them too. So mm. when Yala left and went to Everton for the, the big money, I thought it was mm. time for Andros to to step up to the plate and uh, you know kind of show the the talents that he's got. Uh, the talents that got him in the England squad and uh, the talents that's got him, you know, some big moves over the last sort of 18 months. But it just, for one reason or another, I don't know what it is. It just hasn't worked for him, which, is, you know, is really surprising. He can't come back, can he, uh, Steve? If he's, it's just say Newcastle made a bid, a cheeky bid in January, can't come back because it's three clubs in one year, right? That's right, three clubs in one year. Well, well, I don't, th- I don't think it's, I don't think it was, was he. I don't know whether he made an appearance uh, for us. Um, start the season, but yeah, I mean it's difficult. But I don't think it'll happen. Put it that way. I think the Castle have settled for what they've got with with Atsu, who's playing very, very well when he gets the opportunity. Richie uh, playing very, very well. Um, I don't know whether whether Andros Townsend would even uh, contemplate coming back, other than mm-hmm. for the fact that he's not getting a game at at, at Palace. What I was going to ask uh, Peter is that Peter, do you, do you find that, or do you feel as though um, local lads like yourself? Um, Obviously, Stevie Watson is probably not not so much, but certainly uh, with Paul Dummett, and, and I think to some extent as well. Um, do, you, do you feel as though you're under a little bit more pressure um, being a Geordie lad who, who who comes into the squad as opposed to say, you know, a, a Geordie who comes from another club, you know, who, who's been elsewhere and then comes in and, and makes yeah. place his own. Do you, do you find, you know, I, I think that sometimes some of the local lads get a little bit little bit more stick because they seem to be under a little bit more pressure. I don't know whether that's something that you've ever considered. Yeah, I, th- I think it is a little bit. Um, I think there is a little bit of that because you know I think fans kind of live uh, a career through them. You know they kind of see themselves in in players. You know you, you'll have grown. Somebody will have grown up. Uh, Argument take a centre off for me. I think geez, I can do a better job than Peter Ramage or Stephen Taylor or. You know Paul Hunting and David Edgar going back a couple of years yeah. through that, and I think yeah you probably do. Um, 
you know, I don't I can't remember many Jordies coming back and succeeding any more so mm-hmm. than Alan Shearer. You know, our greatest probably greatest ever Jordy. Um, it's they probably do, yeah, we probably do, but in the same breath, it's 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 kind of part and parcel of, of coming through. You've got yeah, to expect do, that. Yeah. Do you think it's the lack of a? Do you think it's the lack of a of a transfer fee that's been placed on your head? Do you think you know? Yeah. You, you know that yeah, people yeah. think well, he's costing out, so he mustn't be very good type of thing. Whereas I forget that you've come through the ranks, and that's what football is all about. And and you know, taking the opportunity, grasping it, and that's why we have youth teams and there that's why we have academies because we're looking for the, the local talent and we get an awful lot of stick for not pulling the local talent through and then when we do have it we, we get a lot of people who, who will take pot shots at the local talent yeah i think we're always getting compared which is another thing you know you look at yeah. the boys that have come through certainly i mean talked about joe allen previously gaza yeah. um i know pedro came back but peter beardsley local hero you know myself, you know, always compared to Aaron Hughes. Yeah. Callback uh, as well. Yeah. Callback, yeah. Jack, you know, he's come back, and you know, even he's getting so was getting stick, you know, especially last season when it wasn't mm-hmm. going well. I think we see kind of a you know, fans myself now. I'm, I'm a fan myself now. We see an affinity to the to that that player because they they're born from the area and they were, you know, they cut them in half and they're, they're bleeding black and white, and you expect that little bit more from them. You expect them to be able to rouse and. Uh, and kind of tell the others what it means to play for Newcastle. And if a performance is poor and varied, it's because, you know, that that person, whoever it be, hasn't got, you know, the the, the others to, to, you know, fight for the cause, fight for the shirt kind of thing. But it's, yeah. like I said, it's part and parcel of being from the area. Um, you know, as a player, you expect that. You know, I got it from my dad. Uh, he was, you know, he was... If something went wrong, it was you know it was very mindful. Well, why didn't you say that? You know, you gotta you gotta let people know. Which, but again, it's the higher you go, whether you go elsewhere you, or you go and play for your national side, there's always going to be a pressure to be a professional footballer to play for the shirt that you that you that you're wearing and to be able to perform to that highest highest level. Neil, it's interesting, isn't it, that you know that we're talking about the local players. It's it's not very nice, is it, when because their local players are kind of undervalued. Sorry, Andrew. So yeah, I was going to say, Neil, it's 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 hard, it's it's not very nice when you hear that the local players, if they haven't got a price tag like uh, Peter was saying, um, that they are yeah. kind of undervalued in uh, well, as the a. Whole, the whole situation is fascinating to hear somebody saying. I'd, I'd never played fullback in my life, and then I'm thrusting at the top. Top flight to go and play fullback exactly. and shoveled, shoveled out and never been really shown how to cross the ball or what to do. I mean, is, is that? I wish I could say I was surprised by that, but I'm I'm not. Um, yes, I think local players do get undervalued. I think we've fallen behind Sunderland and Middlesbrough in terms of academy flow, and we've had to play catch up on that. Mm. Um, I think. Rafa's that's part of what he's doing with his project, isn't it? He's, he's looking at everything, lock, stock and barrel, and the whole root and branch review of what goes on in the club. I'm damn sure he'd not have a full-back in it, full-back who'd never played full-back before. As long as he doesn't uh, look at talkings, radio talkings will be all right. Then. That's very true. That's very true, mate. But, you know, because all of our better selections make better selections than someone who's won the Champions League. We really do Exactly. Um, it... You don't get us wrong. I like an opinion as much as anybody else. Jesus, I, I, I talk on the radio every Monday night for 
for some reason, some idiot gives me the, 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 the ability to do this. And, um, well, it's, it's that idiot sat there in Gateshead, Andrew. Thank you, mate. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and so yeah, that's what I love about football. It's all about opinions. But when it comes to team selection at the minute, we just go wind my next in and let the man get on with his job, surely. Dear me. Um, let's have a look at the table, people, and calm ourselves down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think yeah, these days local players get lost in the in the melee. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the squads, and that's coming back to what I was talking about. The UAE here, they've recognised that over here, and they've got um, you know rules and number of foreigners for that reason because they want to develop the game from within and see players develop on the world stage, and that's why the national teams climbing through the ranks of Asian football because they've got young, young local players of, of local background who've been allowed to develop within the clubs. Now, it's a to- the league here is a total different kettle of fish to the Premier League, total different money game, um, but I think, I, I think it's affecting clubs in the Championship and even further down there. This uh, drive oh, to, yeah. to bring players in and bring more in at the expense of developing your own. Uh, it's the one thing I'm going to bring in, uh, talk, uh, Peter. I've, I've, obviously, I'm just hearing the news now, but uh, when it comes to the when it comes to the championship, um, David Wagner is actually leaving Huddersfield to go to Wolfsburg. Now, this guy's got getting all applauded. It's a team are ve- doing very, very well, and obviously, Wolfsburg are a big, huge team in Germany. But that, to me, is an absolute shocking decision for him to leave. Leave Huddersfield. What's your thoughts on that? Because obviously, I know you played 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 the championship yourself. Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely surprising. Now that's the first I've heard of it. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been doing a fantastic job at Huddersfield. Um, you know, it's it's it is surprising. But well, I mean, he's, I think he's German, is he? It's correct mm-hmm. me saying. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. there's an opportunity for him to go and. Uh, manage a big club in in Germany in the top division. Uh, it's it's kind of probably uh, well, yeah, I'm a bit bit shocked by that. But I mean, it's like I said, it's, it's obviously personal ambition of his to manage in the Bundesliga. And I think was he was he Borussia Dortmund's number two, uh, like reserve team manager or something like that previously to mm-hmm. come into Huddersfield. So there's obviously he sees a progression himself that that he can further his career. Um, it is it is a shame that. That he's going to be leaving the English because I mean he's, I watched the game the other night against Norwich and mm. they were magnificent uh, on the night and uh, deserved the win at a you know a tough place to go at Carroll Road and it's uh, it's a loss for the English league even though he is German that you know he's going back to to their country to to progress the football and then in their league. Yeah, to, you know I just I just read that on social media that you know I've never read it just oh <coughs> thing is. Yeah. He's, he's, he's always going to go. Somebody like that. His background. His background is, is under Klopp. Uh, That's right. Um, and yeah. he's, he's always going to go back if he's given the chance to go back to the, the Bundesliga uh, and, and Wolfsburg, which who are, you know, let's not underestimate Wolfsburg are are, are in German mm, terms a big club. They really yeah. are. You know, yeah. um, they're not a. Not a small club in any way, shape, or form. Forget that. It's um, mm-hmm. yeah, they're 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 owned by Volkswagen. They're they're, a, they're one of they're one of the few clubs exempt from the 49 plus one rule because but have different restrictions put on them. But mm-hmm. um, you know, then is he going to make that step up? Of course he is. 
Mm. Absolutely, of course, it is. It's a shame. It's a shame for Huddersfield because he's had them playing very, very well. Huddersfield now, I know that. Well, I, th- I think they were going to struggle once injuries and suspensions kick in. They don't have the deepest mm. of squads, and I think that's mm. um, he's probably looked at his options there and looked at his chance to make his name by turning around a big club in Germany. And I think, yeah. f- from a managerial progression point of view, there's only one decision to make there. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think we re- we have to remember, and I think being removed from the UK and looking out from a distance, um, the world doesn't revolve around. The English game anymore. Mm. You know, yeah, it was hell on the other week when the 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 Barcelona Real Madrid game kicked off at a time yeah. when it couldn't be shown in the UK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it kicked off for a time <laughs> when it could be shown at prime time here mm. in the Gulf, where the money's going into those two clubs. And mm. so, it's a shocking um, decision. That, I couldn't believe that one either. Uh, perfect, yeah, perfect decision for the for the two clubs involved, though. Mm. Um, they they got the American market and they yeah. got the Far Eastern market and. Uh, we wouldn't have allowed. The, we don't allow any games to be shown that are kicked off at, at three o'clock. So, you know, the, the, we're looking after our own league. They're looking after their own league, and good luck to them, as far as I'm concerned. In terms of Wolfsburg and, and anyone who's been to Germany and, and, and uh, witnessed the passion uh, that you get in the in the Bundesliga, um, and not just the Bundesliga, but the league below, and you see the turnout that you get from fans, and you see the passion, and you see the quality of football that's being played. Um, I'm not surprised that uh, the op- when the opportunity's arisen that, he, that he's taken it, as Neil says. It's, it's, it, it was always going to happen. What will be interesting is who takes the job at Huddersfield. Is this an outlet for Sam, big Sam, to come back uh, with a team who's hovering around promotion? You know, went through a little blip a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, it started the league like a, like an absolute bomb, you know, mm-hmm. because the guy had them fit and uh, they, they, hit a, they had a little bit of a blip for about four or five weeks and then he got them back onto winning ways and I'm wondering whether or not you know, the, the, the ambition of, of Huddersfield will now be shown because we'll see who they go for. It'd be interesting. Sam's it? announced mm-hmm. that he's available. You know, I mean, there was there was a lot touted about Crystal Palace, and and I'm sure mm-hmm. Peter will have an opinion on 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 Pardew and whether whether or not that vacancy is is still going to happen, um, or whether Pardew's going to going to see his time out there and 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 get through the problems that he's encountering. I know the fans are very unhappy, um, but if if there's not a Premier League place available for Sam, he'd certainly be looking for something um, hovering around the 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 top of the Championship. You know. What do you think, Peter? Yeah. It's interesting, uh, Palace and Huddersfield. I, for one, can't see Sam going to Huddersfield, but I can see that getting, you know, filled by Gary Rowett. His yeah, his that's stocks, what I was thinking. Yeah, his, his stocks, you know, sky high at the minute after what's mm. happened to Birmingham, and that's you know, another ridiculous decision as well. What do you think? Oh, that was yeah. to put Gianfranco Zola, who's doing nothing, and I mean nothing, as a manager, and he's mm-hmm. he's gone there. Who doesn't yeah. understand the club he's got? I tell yeah. you, that owner who's just doing bizarre things, mm. you might as well run and punt Andy Hassenthaler up the arse like the lad at Leighton Orient. He's just not got a clue. And that's a, this is the problem. Owners come into clubs at the minute, they think they know football, they're playing football manager with their own money, mm. and they haven't got a damn clue about the heritage and the culture that are treading all over, and they make knee-jerk decisions that are just plainly stupid. Mm. What do you think, uh, Peter? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I've been at that club. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a proper football club, mm-hmm. and it had a proper football man in charge who, mm-hmm. to be brutally honest with you, I think could have got them into the playoffs. 
I'm I'm unsure whether you know changing the man the manager and Zola's come out already and said that he's he's going to change the style of play and things like that. Well, you know, if, if, why if it's not broke, why fix it? Mm. It was working for them. You know, Birmingham have been struggling the last couple of years. Rowett's been given time and money to to bring the players that he wants. That you know, it's been successful and they've you know they've replaced them. It's it's flabbergasting to be brutally honest with you, but. You know, I can't. I could. I can see him ending up at Huddersfield. You know, they're a similar kind of club mm. in terms of the working, uh, the working hard players that they've got, and he could, you know, could be the man that just gets them into the the playoff positions, and 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 you know, could actually, you know, get them up uh, up and through the playoffs. I think the interesting thing I thought on Zola when he came in, he says the club have given him carte blanche to go in the January window and basically make a splash. So you've got a guy in Guy Rowett who's been, I suppose, tried and tested. Um, mm. I would actually go another another punt. I, I can't see the Norwich manager lasting very long. And I can see Rowett maybe going to Norwich. Um, it, 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 depends on, it depends on the fan base, I think. And I, 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 I could, that's just a punt. I, I don't know, obviously. But I, I was, I was going to say, obviously, when it comes to all the... The transfers, uh, obviously, me and Neil tried to get you to Dubai, Peter, and I and, and we we felt um, in a, but I had visions of you walk running around uh, Dubai um, like a scared little cat <laughs> trying to keep up the sun. Uh, I mean, I was on. I was hot, and that was hard to play. And I mean, I can just imagine Dubai would be even harder. But, uh. <laughs> it's interesting Dubai, you know, because the one the players they want, obviously, more and often enough. Um, which we found ourselves is that they want players, uh, strikers. They'll do anything for strikers, yeah. but when it comes to defensive-minded players, and um, you know, it, it, I was going to ask you another question, a bit left field, but it's interesting because I, I, I've been talking to an ex, well, a player who's still playing in Justin Hyde, and he's desperate to go to Dubai, but the, the one thing that when you're out of the league and you're not playing, it's very, very difficult to get back in, and uh, it's it seems to be a cycle of you know they've got friends family agents this that and the other to get them in, but when it comes to actually getting somebody to actually make it their job just to actually try and get them in, they're always a bit offish about uh, you know doing the marketing side of it. Can can you you know of like you know whoever it is trying to get them a job is that is that that must make it even even harder for them to think outside the box because footballers just think, well, I should get for free. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's every club wants a centre forward. If, mm. if you know myself, just night with centre forward, then we'll probably find a club easily. Everybody's looking for a goal scorer. Mm. You know, you see players that go two years without scoring a goal, but turn up somewhere, and all of a sudden mm. they get six and seven or something like that, and it's. The defenders, you know, invariably you can t- when you look within your squad, you can turn somebody from, you know, a winger into a fullback or a centre midfielder into a centre half. It's um, you kind of save, a, you can save a bit of money to go and get that centre forward, which is, you know, I certainly have found over the last few years. Uh, hence, you know, going to maybe some of the far out places in the world. It's because, you know, to be brutally honest with you, when you get a little bit older, like me. And, you know, just an hour. It's, it's, it is harder to, to market yourself to, mm. to, you know, try and get a club. Um, mm. You know, that's when you, 
you know, you're kind of putting your trust in your agent to, mm-hmm. you know, you know, maybe tell a little white lie here or there. You know, you can, like I said before about me coming through, uh, say yeah, you can play left back or you can play right back when you actually haven't played there before. You know, you just kind of fabricate your, fabricate your, your CV, which, but, and and that's how it works. You know, you you can you can always centre forwards will always, you know, vary that barren or will end somewhere, but. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes centre offs aren't exactly the the foremost thought of a of a manager. Yeah, so I suppose a centre a centre forward can always turn around and go, well, I meant a deep line centre forward. You know, when things aren't going right. <laughs> Peter, yeah. can, I, can I can I ask you a question, Peter? If, if you look at the Newcastle team now, um, centre forward, who would you rather mark? Would you rather mark a Dwight Gale or a Mitrovic? Personally, a Mitrovic. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've played with Gailey. Uh, I know I know him really well. Yeah. Um, and he's 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 sharp. He's quick. He covers the ground. He's always looking. He can play. He can play in behind. You know, he's always looking for that that through ball because um, he's got that blistering pace. But he's he's deceptively good in the air. Uh, he's strong as an ox. I think he's you know he is a he is. I mean. Everybody's looking now down at Palace, you know, struggling for goals, and they're seeing a guy who they sold for ten million, he's got seventeen and sixteen or sixteen and seventeen. It's it's a it's an unbelievable record. But you know, Mitrovic is a, an old-fashioned target man. You know, I, I like my battles against them because you know what you're going to get, but you don't know what you're going to get with Gailey, which is yeah. you know the uh, the unpredictability of the centre forward. He can he can do everything. Yeah, I'm not going to go as far as to say he's a complete centre forward because he's not, but he he's got more strings to his bow, I see anyway, than Mitrovic. That's, but that's not me saying that one's better than the other because you know Mitrovic's physical presence and he's uh, you know he probably scores he scores probably more than goals than Gailey. Um, he's he's, a, he's equally as threat uh, in the box as, as Gailey is. Yeah, that but, that first that first yard, isn't it? That first yard of pace that he has. It, it must must send shivers again to to pull, <laughs> yeah. to pull back and centre halls when they yeah. see it, you know. As it is, so when you know Mitrovic is going to be there ready to clap at you, whereas Gailey's gone before you've looked. Some things, isn't he? You know. Exactly. Exactly. I, mean, I think they're know. going to sell Mitrovic, Peter. But you know, I spoke to John Richardson the other week, and uh, you know, Newcastle are looking to say they sell him in the summer, which probably looks like they will. So you know, it, I think the way that Rafa. You haven't even got anything to talk about Rafa Newcastle this this evening, but with yourself. But like, since um, obviously with Mitrovic on on the chopping block because of his lack of pace, and um, you know, to me he's loved by Newcastle fans. I think we can understand it because you know the Mitro's on fire and all that. But he's not on fire, and um, when he when he plays, he scores. You know, you see that little spell that he had a few weeks ago and. Mm. He got the hat rick and then he got a couple in the cup game and um, you know he wears his heart on his sleeve and he's mm-hmm. passionate and he and he goes around and and puts himself about and that's what Newcastle fans love you know we we've seen them kind of number nines throughout the the years and uh, Gailey's you know a little bit different mould to him but he's he's scoring as well and the heart, I think the everybody's crying out for the two of them to play together but I don't think it would work and when. Like I said before, why would why would you? I think Neil said, you know, why break something when it's not when it doesn't need to be, you know, fixed? He's got a formation that's that's working for the team, and it and it it means that only one of them plays, and 
when Gailey's scoring, it's hard to leave him out. But I do the one thing I have liked about Benitez over the course of the season is he's not afraid to drop players, mm-hmm. um, and he's, even when they are playing well. And I, I like and I like that because it keeps everybody on their toes, and they know that they've they've got to when they do come in, they've got to perform. Um, you know the Blackburn game the other week when we got beat. I liked how he came out and he said, you know, he expected more from the the six changes that he made than he did from the the four or the five that that kept their place, which was which was good because it you know it sent a little warning to everybody to, that you know when you do get your chance, you do have to take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, drop, drop or rested. What would you class it as? <laughs> it was you, Peter. Would you, would you, uh, would you be happy when he said he's resting you, or would you consider it to be? You no, <laughs> never be. I'm far over. He came out and told me I was dropped, even if I played well the previous week. It's, it's, it's one of those where it's, um, it's never nice to be rested because if that guy comes in and t- in, and scores, then you, you know you still got that argument to go knock on the door. Well, hang on a second, you rested me. Why aren't I playing the next week? Yeah. Or, or if he just said, listen, you're dropped. Mm-hmm. And if your guy comes in and scores and keeps his place, it's because you've been dropped. Mm-hmm. So it's... it's, it's, uh, it's <laughs> I never liked it, like I said. But that was just, <laughs> good. That was just I like the answer. It's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> it, so so when, you're, when you're back here, when it comes to the taking the next step, Peter, I'm, I've got a... I've got to bring in my next American caller, but uh, Steve, I've got to I've got to bring in my next caller. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks we'll catch you. Guys. No, no problem. We'll catch you next and, week, uh, mate. Okay. Yeah. Yep, thanks. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks. Now, I've got obviously this is uh, I'll bring in Chris Parry, who's uh, Chris Parry calling from uh, the United States. Good evening, Chris. Good evening to you too. How are you doing? It is freezing. <laughs> no, no golf being played anywhere in the United States right now. The polar, that polar thing is no joke. I mean, it went, Andrew, you've never seen anything like it. It went from 70 degrees when I went into work on Saturday, uh, you know, because I'm a sports writer, so I work mm-hmm. Saturdays. So mm-hmm. it went from 70 degrees. By the time I got out of work at around 11 o'clock at midnight, it had already dropped to 20. 20? Wow. I mean, it's I've never seen anything like it. It's been kind of, and it's been cold. Yeah, it's cold, but I mean that's okay as long as the wind holds off. It's no, no big deal. But it, we've got obviously Peter Ramage, um, ex Newcastle United uh, player, with us tonight, uh, Chris. Um, obviously, he's playing in the, he's playing the American League, uh, but just one league below the MLS. Um, obviously, in our where he's where he's playing. Um, what's your take on on that league? Because Obviously, it, it it could change because things happen quickly in America, don't they? When it comes to rosters, like um, like Peter would know, it, like I think it's it's never easy to get retained for the next season. I find it it seems to be a lot of intermingling, especially with the the um, You could go well, Peter could go to any team really when the MLS league decides to move you on. What's that like? That must be a bit weird. That's the way well, that they do it, right, uh, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it's, of course, some teams that were, you know, they're, they're in the, you know, the, the league just below the MLS become MLS teams. I mean, you know, that's kind of what happened to uh, Orlando City. You know, they, they, they were such a successful uh, franchise that they turned them into MLS. But uh, it, is, it is good. It's starting to become more of a tier system where, you know, players can move up through the ranks, and I think that's only going to help MLS. But, well, it's great to talk to Peter. He was such a great player for Newcastle. Yeah. So when, you, when you're in the that situation um so what's obviously with the kids now being here so next season peter you're just if you know if if the mls the league comes calling 
you, you would go wherever you want to go, or are you quite happy where you are in that intense heat during the day? Uh, I mean, to be brutally honest with you, it's when you're over there, you want to get into the MLS. So if mm-hmm. that decision, if that if a club came in for you, and the that, the good thing about Arizona or Phoenix, uh, that I don't think they would st- stand in your way. I mean. Chris would probably know the the league and the league rules better than myself, but I'm I'm sure that you know you can kind of get cut or you can kind of leave whenever mm-hmm. you want. The, the papers is almost as strong as water. It's or the contract, sorry, is almost <laughs> as, as strong as water. You know, written on. I don't think there's there's. I'm not 100% sure on the rules and regs. Like I said, when I went out, it was kind of done and dusted. Within a day, it was it was pretty quick. But yeah, I think every every player over there wants to play in the MLS. I'm certainly it would be a, you know a dream to, for that to come. Uh, to come to life, but I, I'm, there's a, like I said, there's a progression for for Phoenix. There's there's something that's and the plans to maybe get in the MLS and and four, five, six, however many years time. That's what the new owners, I believe, are looking to do. Um, I mean, that's going to be out. Hey guys, it, it makes sense, guys, because I mean, they've seen they've seen that's what's happened with uh, with Portland, with the Portland Timbers as well as Orlando. They're both NASL teams. If I, if I remember correctly, it had such good success. And that's kind of been a way to, to become an MLS team. I think as well, I mean, like Chris, Chris will know as well, Arizona is, I think, probably one of the only states that doesn't have a team that's, uh, you know, in the MLS. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, sure. a, it's, a huge, it's a huge state um, with a massive, you know, mm-hmm. fan base yeah. of soccer. Um, you know, we've got a lot of uh, kind of Mexican population. Uh, so you got a great pop- Latino population. Yeah, who who love the the soccer, love the football, whatever you call it, and it's you know we were trying to tap into that market with mm. you know with potential signings to you know increase our fan base that way. Um, so to be able to you know get into the MLS from a, a franchise point of view for Arizona would be would be massive, and like like I said, that's the the ambition of the the new owners that have come in. Peter, what do you think about what do you think about the the calendar? And do they need to eventually go with with what everybody? So they just don't want to go against American football because they're afraid yeah. the other just yeah. get swallowed up, and especially yeah. college football and things like that. But my gosh, it's got to be hot in Arizona, you know, playing in the summertime. Yeah. It's it is it's it's great though because you know all the golf courses are empty, so you finish training. That, you're on that the, is true. <laughs> play in the middle of the day, so it's brilliant. No, I'll keep the calendar the same. <laughs> to be honest, I mean that's 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 been that for for me from a family point of view that's been one of the the hardest decisions to make is because the 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 season runs kind of outside of the European season which runs outside of kind of a school year over here and it runs outside of a school year over in America for you know for for European players to come over with families um, it's quite strange because you're done and dusted you know October November December time. And then you're not back until you know February March, which you know is two three months of a school year. So you know what do you do with your kids and what do you do with your family? And if if the league had gone or it does go to a you know an August to May, I think it would make you would find probably a lot more players from Europe going over there because that's kind of how the school systems run. Um, well, it's obviously the school systems run like that in America, but how the school systems runs like that over here and. You know, it coincides with like a, a, a regular season for for us European-based players. So, it's, if they were to do that, I think they would attract a lot more players. Um, from that's from interesting because I thought I thought you guys could get more transfers. I've always thought the MLS could get transfers because you know, guys could go and play over there for a little while 
and then still go and still come back to Europe. But you're right. I mean, if the MLS is going to start getting on the same footing and wants to try to keep getting better, of course, it's, the league's only been around for you know 20 or so years, maybe 30 now. It's, uh, it, it needs it needs to eventually finally just just they're going to have to just suck it up. They're just going to have to go up against college football and American football, and it's going to be tough. It is. Um, I mean, it's, 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 I think the, the South American teams run, you know, the same as what we do over here in Europe. I mean, I might be wrong to that, but I'm sure that they do. So it's, you know, it, 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 it kind of, I think it would benefit them long term in terms of a progression. You know, it may suffer a couple of years viewing like public, you know, attendances because, like you said, you're running against the, the, the American football te- teams and things like that. But you know, they kind of tend to play on a Friday, Saturday, mm. you know, so whichever day they play on, you could play the soccer game on the other day. So if they play on a Saturday... That's probably true. Sunday. You could play like a t- you know, Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday or something like that. Exactly. And that would so, be a way, that'd be a way to, to, to do it. So there is, there is ways and means to be able to, you know, coincide with the major sports that, they are, that, that, that there is in the, in, the, uh, in the US. But it's, again, it would be, I think it would be a big, a big decision for the MLS to do that. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry, Andrew, you got a journal. I'm gonna, uh, uh, Peter, what do you think about just how uh, British players have struggled in the MLS? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, Ampard and Gerard, these guys, mm-hmm. you figure they come over here and just light the world on fire. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy as they think. One is the travel is, is unreal. Yeah, the travel is. I mean, I've, I've seen that in my short time. There's a lot of traveling. Um uh, to be pretty honest with you, I think they struggled because of the quality of players that they were used to day in, day out at Liverpool and Chelsea, like you said, with Lampard and Gerrard, just aren't there. Uh, and that's not being disrespectful to the Galaxy or New York City, but that's, that's these guys are used to playing with, um, you know, 10 other world-class players. Um, and, yeah, it's, you know, the, the, the business end of the pitch... You know, scoring goals and things like that. The, the quality was there for them to finish these these chances off. Whereas they kind of had to create a little bit more themselves, and maybe that's a role within the side and, and the expectation of the players as well. You know, it was even it was probably tenfold as to what it was in the in the English Premier League. You know, the guys the guys are expected to go over, and you know Lampard's expected to score a hat trick every game, and Gerrard's expected mm-hmm. to assist three goals every game, and, and obviously mm-hmm. that just that just hasn't happened. Um, but you know for very player that has, you know, you've got like the Robbie Keane who's gone over and done well. Oh, Robbie yeah. Keane, you know, it's funny. Robbie yeah. Keane and David, v- Robbie Keane and David Villa. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's exactly what you what you just said. They even in the in 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 the EPL and in Europe, they always seem to be able to create their own goals. It was like yeah. they didn't they almost didn't need anybody's help. And you're right, it's it seems like guys that needed, uh, you know, the the killer pass and things like that. Uh, well, they're good one, good one. It's the guys that can yeah. just create themselves. Lampard's made a career of coming on the end of crosses and, and you know being able to finish, you know by third man runs and things like that. It's it, uh, Gerard himself. You know he scored obviously some unbelievable strikes in, in his day, but it's he, um, it, it's just I think they've just found it a little bit tougher playing with not lesser. I don't want to say lesser players, but lesser quality of, of player that, that is around them. But it's 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 great to see for the for the American league that these players are going over there and. You know, Lampard, he, he didn't have a bad season last season. I think he got 13 or 14 goals uh, through the season, which, you know, from a guy from midfield, still a, still a hell of a return for, for somebody who supposedly, you know, had a poor season. It was interesting, Neil. Yeah, I think, I think, I think Neil probably 
and uh, Chris will understand this, but I think when it comes to um, Stephen Gerrard, to me, you can comment at the end, uh, Peter, but Neil, I thought when Gerrard left Liverpool, he was toast anyway. I think he was, it was to me it was the end of his career, he, he was gone. And the only the only way we ever come on would be a substitute and to go to the America, and like uh, you know he, he comes he always comes across as as um, uh, as a person that tells the truth. But I think going to America, he, he he took he took on something I don't think he should have took. I know it's a controversial thing, but what do you think, Neil? I, I don't know. He, he, he's maybe looking at how Beckham's done. Yeah. He thought maybe I could have a piece of that action myself. Mm. Um, perhaps. His legs have gone. Yeah, uh, perhaps he so. underestimated the level he was going to mm. have to perform at. Mm. Um, I think it's quite interesting since he's come back to the UK, he's taking his time over making his next move. Mm. Um, so he's obviously had a bit of a wake up. Or perhaps somebody just waved a paycheck under his nose that was too good to say no to because, as Peter quite rightly said way back at the start of the show, <laughs> you don't have a long career. <laughs> and you've got to make all the money you can when you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know why guys are going to China. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's exactly what we said right at the, start, at the top of the show, uh, Chris. And, 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 you know, I don't begrudge lads that because if it's there to be made and there to be had, you've got to go and do it because it's for your livelihood, not just for now, but for the future that you've got to secure it for. But even you if you're making so much money that you can you, you you don't need you don't well not to say you don't need it because you always need it but the players like Felix of Beckham Felix of Gerrard Felix of Lampard um, they don't they don't strictly need it and to go there and I personally think when he went to LA and obviously Peter can contact me but I, I think it was an embarrassment to be honest with you I, yes I did I, I thought it was a complete embarrassment really he's one of those players that his heart's at Liverpool Football Club and he can't really raise his game to play for anybody else I can name you a couple of lads that I know who were released from the academy at Newcastle and could have had really good careers elsewhere, mm. could have even had really good Northern League careers, but the minute their hearts were broken and they were away from the club that they were only, only interested in playing for, they never really played football at the same level again because they just didn't have the desire. Mm. They just didn't want it. Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing for Jared that he's been somewhere for his whole career, his whole life basically, and mm-hmm. you know it, it it'd be hard to maybe settle somewhere else where the standards mm-hmm. maybe weren't as high that he, is is what he was used to day in day out, and um, he wasn't playing with the kind of quality of player that you know he was used to in at Liverpool, and maybe it just didn't. I, I mean, personally, it, it 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 looked like it didn't pan out how he thought it was going to pan out. Um, but Peter is, also don't think he gave it. Also don't think he gave it a chance. I mean, yeah, remember I Beckham didn't yeah. come over here and set the world on fire either. It took a little while mm. to get ingrained in the MLS how things are done, mm. and then Beckham ended up. You know, remember, it was kind of a it was kind of a grind for Beckham, but he was willing mm. to stick it out to try yeah. to uh, raise you know the level of American soccer and just mm. and, and raise his his profile. Whereas I just don't think Gerard's heart was in it because mm. he's already I, left after what one year. One season. Yeah, but I also think as well that Beckham went at, at the right age. Beckham went at 32. Gerard okay. went at 36. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's that that four-year period, which you know Beckham was still kind of in the primary career, which he mm. could still be able to carry himself around the pitch and mm. and be the the player that you know he he, he was in Europe. And I, I just don't think Gerard's 
uh, had the legs to be the box-to-box player that he's made his, you know, he's made his name be. And um, it just wasn't, it wasn't the right time for him. Um, but he obviously wanted to try it. You know, he could have gone out there and set the world on fire and been, you know, the next Chavini or that's at uh, Toronto, I think. So, or one of the, you know, he could have, he could have been. It just didn't work. Sometimes, just you know, these these moves don't. Um, which is, it's unfortunate because you know the Galaxy obviously invested a lot of money in them. Uh, and expected that expectation comes with that with that kind of price tag and it, and it hasn't worked out but who knows if he hadn't have done it then you know on a personal level he might have always been looking there with a bit of regret I think that the one thing I found about Gerard I think he may have just gone there if I'm if I try and defend him a little bit he probably went there for his kids and his wife to sample uh, a different lifestyle yeah. because they'd yeah. always been classed as being in you know Liverpool you know Liverpool, and, and maybe that probably was. You're probably right, Andrew. And yeah, and mm-hmm. again, you can't begrudge him that because he's mm-hmm. he's had the career he's had at Liverpool, and from a life opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, career-wise, this might not have come up again, coaching-wise or or whatnot. Uh, I think as well, he spent a lot of time, you know, transatlantic, coming back to work in in the Premier League, and he was always on shows over here, which you know, I think kind of from being over there and watching it, I know the people that, that I sort of spoke to about mm. about Gerard kind of got a little bit miffed that he was, mm. you know, didn't see his heart fully in mm. uh, the football side of things. He was kind of looking at, you know, the media, which is not the real reason why he went out to play in, at the Galaxy. Yeah, because he, he was there for two seasons at Galaxy, so I think the first season he complained about the travel. And when he, I remember when he was interviewed, he was extensively interviewed by it and he kept on saying the travel is a real kick in the nuts and you know getting from A to B but it's but you know like it's I agree I think the older you get you, you kind of you just want to go you just want to walk you know a, 20, a two hour ride in the on the bus uh, to you know they've got obviously in England you can just fly there within an hour can't you to any to any particular place in the country it's quite easy when you got a private jet. Because yeah, it is it's easier. It is easier when you have a private jet. Geez. Well, not that I know of, but I can imagine it. But no, I mean, from a, from a playing point of view, from a, from a player's aspect of things, it, it it takes that lot longer to to recover from games if you've got you know three, four, five hour playing journeys. You know, the day after a game, the last thing you want to be doing is you know waking up first thing in the morning to jump on a plane to travel back to. Uh, to LA, oh, I mean, well, anybody would want to travel back to LA, but you know, from a playing point of view, it's it's hard to do, and it's hard to to get yourself physically right for the next game, because it, you know, the, 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 well, the, the personal uh, physicians and all sort of tell you, you know, about the delayed the DOMS as they they call it, uh, the delayed muscle, whatever it is, it it it, it, it it'll increase if you've got a lot more travel in you and you know he's probably going into games where at Liverpool mm. after a Saturday Tuesday feeling fine because all you need to do is just get in the car and drive out an hour home and not get up and go on a four hour flight so it's there's probably the travel probably went into effect in his uh, recuperation from games mm. I was going to say Chris so obviously it looks like Peter's going to try and look for the next step in coaching um, it, with with the American market um, the the way it be possible just to do, you know, months in Eng- months in England and month, uh, a couple of weeks in in America because you always see jobs advertised. Because I think the one thing that Barry Venison told us, you might agree with this, is that uh, Peter, 
is that there's when it comes to when it comes to American footballers playing, they haven't got the same oomph as what the English players have got when when they play football. And you've got them, you've got to massage them and, and and manage them a little bit more. Yeah, I think we're kind of well, certainly myself. I had a great upbringing um, with coaches-wise, you know, we had Al Mervine, Kenny Wharton, Peter Beardsley, mm-hmm. Tommy Craig, you know, proper football men who, you know, made you realise what it was to be a footballer and, and how hard you have to work to be able to not only carve a career out but to sustain it. And, you know, I've, I've found when I'm over there, and this is no disrespect to the American players, but sometimes it's a second job because the money's <laughs> not there. Yeah. But, you know, we had, we had, you know, a couple of the boys had while well, they were doing their coaching and things like that, and that was bringing in more revenue than it was playing. So that mindset wasn't 100% on the football yeah. side of things. It was on yeah. a, you know, the stuff outside. Um, whereas, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that, you know, these guys should be trying to work harder because, you know, like Chris said before, you know, there is opportunities for these players to get into the MLS. We're playing yeah. MLS sides. You know, okay, it's a T2 teams, but you're playing MLS sides, and if you impress them, and if you're the right age and right fit for that MLS side, there is a progression. But sometimes I found that players, you know, mindsets weren't as determined as, you know, myself. You know, it was Luke Rooney who was out there. He was a kid who used to be at, uh, he was at Swindon at Luton. Stephen, as you know, he had a career in England. Um, you know, like myself and him who were, you know, it hurt us to lose a game of five aside on a, mm. you know, a Tuesday afternoon, never mind on a, on a Saturday night. Mm. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Peter, do you think, and, and I, of course, and I think this is happening with all sports. I hate to, I just think it's a different generation of kids <laughs> and athletes. You know, that, that, you know the, the, the everybody's a winner generation is what I call them. I mean, it's, uh, I, I just think that losing hurt us. I mean, I hate to pull the, the old, I'm only, I'm 40, but I just remember that we couldn't stand losing. And it just seems like, like now it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, there's always an extra. It, it just seems like there's a different mindset in athletes, and I don't know if that's just on side. It seems like it's in every sport. No, 100% agree with you, Chris. I, I think kids nowadays are uh, kind of handed things on a silver platter, yeah. whereas we had to earn our right to get, um, you know, just a pair of boots, simple pair yeah. of boots off the kit, man. You know, nowadays you've got kids of 14 and 15 that have got sponsorship deals from all the mm. major brands. You know, we were, you know, scrimping and saving our uh, 75 quid a week is what we were earning. You know, I've got kids who are 15, 16. You know, I'm, I went to watch the academy a couple of weeks ago and was told a story about Man City bought a, a goalkeeper at 14 years of age for 350 grand and bought his parents a house, putting his kids through, putting his sister through university because she was in there all because they wanted this kid of 14 you know it's, you know, it's getting ridiculous that kids are just literally handed everything and uh, you know all the money under the sun at, 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 at an age where to be brutally honest with you in a year's time they might fall out of the love of the game um, but we were like you said Chris and I, Andrew will probably agree with you, we were brought up mm-hmm. wanting, wanting that we were wanting that mm. for well, that house for our mum and dad. You know, it wasn't promised to us. We had to earn it, mm. and I think it's a, it's, it, it is an issue with with academies at, at this moment in time. And you know, I've read Liverpool have now put a salary cap on their mm. on their kids, yeah. which I think is magnificent. Mm. Uh, a great idea that you know kids have got to earn the right to get the contract mm. to get them into the first team. Which it's, but, it's a it's a bit like uh, you know the boots thing. A bit for kids because now they wear different kind of boots. And Gary Neville says, 
the the one thing he found that the new boots um, that they're lighter and you get more injuries and he says um, players now come in like younger players should be told to wear the normal black boots yeah. To you know, to 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 be told that's the thing you've got to tell them. You've, you've got to say, listen, you, it, it's all about the club. At the end of the day, the club are the ones that manage expectations. And I think um, I think the difference in America is that the league manage expectations, not the club. So that's where, uh, well, like, that's what it's like, isn't it? Effectively, isn't it, Chris? Like, like, you about, well, the MLS. I mean, the MLS especially. I mean, the the MLS handles transfers, not the mm. club. You know. It's, that's I've always thought that was kind of weird. How do you kind of keep parity whenever? I guess that's the way they can keep parity. So that way, every you know, it, so when it, you've seen like and and Peter probably knows like like when when the Galaxy get one of these amazing players, yeah. they kind of have to give something up or give some money to other teams or something yeah. like that. I was trying to figure out exactly kind of how it works, but uh, but no, you're talking about boots, guys. I mean that that right there says it all. I mean mm-hmm. when we were growing up, you wore black. You didn't yeah. care what the color was. The color, the, I mean, the color of cleats now is all about look at me, look mm-hmm. at me. And, you know, someone wearing bright orange cleats. That's, that's, that right there is, it's not a team concept. It's, a, it's an individual concept. Yeah, so the, that's the thing, Peter, isn't it? That those black boots are firmer and they're better, you know, they're better like, to, play, to play in. And you've got the lighter boots. It doesn't make any sense, does it? Because if the kids are going to wear the, the fancy ones and they might get a, they might get a sponsorship deal... It's like, for instance, when you when you when you're when you're playing football, um, you know back you know now and back in the day, uh, once you started playing, did you you got uh, boot sponsors, didn't you? But yeah. uh, and but the black boots, you wouldn't really well, you wouldn't really get a sponsor, would you? That's why it's all changed now. And now you've got the lighter boots. The the kids, you would think the kids will, you know, it's don't give them a choice. You've got to have discipline. Listen. And I think Gary Neville champions it for a long, long time to say, "Listen, wear this boot. You get, you know, get used to it. It's, it's better for you." But now the kids have, they can do whatever they want, and that, that, that's why he said the great thing about Liverpool. They're saying, "Right, you're going to come in. You're going to get paid this amount of money." And it, and the, I, I don't, I don't know what the difference in the MLS, I'm sorry, in the league that in America, but um, it, it it sounds like they they can kind of do the, whatever they want to get to make the money, I suppose. Because, I, uh, like I said, I went and watched the Newcastle Academy against Man United a couple of mm-hmm. weeks ago, and Man United have now brought Jose Mourinho, I believe, brought it in that uh, kids up to the under-23s have to wear black boots. Yeah, so every single Man United player had black boots on. You know, okay. and it's, it, was, it was brilliant to see. You know, they can still have their sponsorship deals with Nike, Adidas, mm-hmm. Puma, Umbro, whoever, but they have to have black boots. Mm-hmm. Now that's going to obviously cause a bit of a conflict of interest with mm-hmm. with with the brands because they're obviously going to want to promote their their things. But I mean, you look now, black boots are starting to come back, and I think mm-hmm. it's purely because kids at academies and academies themselves are actually starting to encourage or starting to enforce that you to be able to wear the boots that Ronaldo, Messi, Aguero, people like that wear. You've got to earn the right to get to that stage. You know, I you absolutely agree. You yeah. can't just you can't get the, the flashy lardy dar boots because mm-hmm. because Messi wears them because Ronaldo wears them. You've actually got to earn, and it's similar to the the wage structure that Liverpool got. You've got to earn your right to be able to get that contract. You've got to earn that right to get them coloured boots. You know, you've got to do the hard hours and hard graphs that. I mean, I've got, I'm sounding old-fashioned here, but that we have mm-hmm. to do to be able to get that. I mean, we wore black boots. 
Mm. Um, I remember Richard Offion uh, came in once when he got his first night deal, and now Mervine didn't play him on the Saturday because he came in with coloured boots. You know, you know, he was 17 year old, and he was it was brilliant for us to see that you know a kid who was he was doing unbelievably well on the 17 scoring goals for fun came in with a, a coloured pair of boots, and he was dropped because he hadn't actually earned the right to wear them yet and Al Nervine dropped him and I, th- I think it's refreshing to see that you know academies like Man United probably one of the biggest institu- institutions in football have, have brought this rule in and, and Liverpool mm. have brought the cap in that mm. you know kids nowadays you know you have to earn the right to be able to wear these these boots and, and earn these contracts mm. Chris thanks so much for coming on after I bring my last caller this evening but uh, as ever we'll try and catch you over the Christmas period for the next show but thanks for coming on Chris I appreciate it Hey Chris, hey, hey Peter, one one more so question before I go. go what do you think about Newcastle and, and kind of where they are going now under Rafa? Mm-hmm. I, I can only see good things coming under the Rafa revolution. Um, it's been brilliant so far, you know, and it's been you know a few years since we've enjoyed the season that we have. I think there's going to be a few more ups and downs between now and the end, or now and May. Um, but you know, I I, I just I, I just love the how he's. Uh, embrace the the area, embrace the culture that you know that Newcastle United is uh, to everybody in the in, in Newcastle, and I think he's he's been he's been an absolute breath of fresh air, and I you know long may it continue on for me. Are you going to go Absolutely. to? Uh, All right, guys, well, always a pleasure. Always thanks. a pleasure. Hey, Merry thanks, Christmas, Chris. everybody. Merry Christmas, Chris. Pleasure as ever, mate. Thanks very much for all your help. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, the, the thing is. Uh, are you obviously you're looking to go into coaching? Uh, is there any involvement with you in with Newcastle to you know look go to games, games speak, speak with Rafa and look at like, the coaching side of it? Because obviously they're, they're open for business now when it comes to players getting involved with with you know the players that have played for the club. Yeah, I mean I've I've been dipping in and, and watching the 23s and getting involved now and then with them. Ben Dawson and and, uh, and Peter Beardsley have been absolutely. Brilliant. Uh, I know Shaw has been in there as well, um, coaching a few sessions. And um, it's for me, it's just trying to learn off off Mm. these guys. You know, Ben's had an unbelievable uh, career coaching-wise. He's been with the English FA, and and Pedro's record speaks for itself. And you know, I haven't worked with Pedro as a as a player when when I was in the academy. You know, they bent over backwards, and, and you know, allowing me. An insight into you know that side of things, and it's been it's been great to to be involved and take notes and and learn from these guys. And you know between now and and February, uh, mm-hmm. you know I'm hoping to you know watch watch more sessions and mm-hmm. and pick their brains on on more on more coaching side of things. So that's great to hear, isn't it, Neil? When it comes to the fact that the the, the club has done a 180 <laughs> in the, in the so last year since Rafa, totally, uh, and it needed it. It needed root and branch review in, in lots of areas, really, uh, and I think it's a reflection about how much more open, communicative, and accepting of the the community at large the club has become. Again, it's the, it it always was the heartbeat of the community, mm. uh, and it's been on life support for the last ten years in many ways. Mm. You know, and and we need to make these connections. We need to use Peter like people like Peter, mm. get them back into the club and say to some of these kids, "This was like I've done this." Mm-hmm. I've done this, and this is my experience, and this is what I can pass to you. Not mm-hmm. just about on the football side, about the non-football side, about getting, mm-hmm. you know, youngsters from outside the region getting their head around the fact that you go to Tesco, they're going on, and now what's in your basket? Mm-hmm. And and all of that, that yeah. that that, that 
people don't get until they're in it. It's that Jenna's Goldfish Bowl moment, which some mm. players can handle, some players can't, and if there's not the pastoral care there, the ones who cannot handle it won't handle it and will go into pieces and will lose them. Mm. I think that's the thing. I think it's trying to, to show the kids that there is a, a path from under eights through the first team. You know, that there is actually people who have who have gone on that route and on that roller coaster ride to get to the professional football at Newcastle United? I think it's important that the, you know, the the, the kids do see um, success stories. I suppose you could say. I'm not trying to say I'm a success, but I'm, I, you know, I successfully came through the system, and mm. um, I think it's, you know, it'd be, be I'm, I'm saying this because, you know, I would love to at some point go back and, and work for the club and help them whenever mm. capacity I possibly could, and uh, and, and be a part of. Uh, you know, something something quite special. Well, the, the, the easiest bit, and this is just my marketing brain, with the fact that you're you're in Arizona, it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a punt, would it, to say, well, okay, uh, you could be a representative for Newcastle United. Um, you know, looking to see what talents out there. Um, yeah. Maybe become a, become a become a scout. You know, just, all things are possible with a bit of with a bit of uh, plus. You know. My other colleague Paul Houghton. We have contacts at MLS, as you know, from last time talking. But um, get, I'm going to bring in John, uh, Newcastle United fans, the last caller of this evening. Good evening, John. Sorry for the wait. No, You're no. live with uh, Peter Ramage. Good evening, um, and good evening, Peter. How, how are we doing? You okay? How are you doing? I'm great, man. How are you doing? You're good. Not too bad. Yeah, good very stuff. good. Good stuff. Good stuff. I mean, I've, a, I've seen a couple of times play for Newcastle. Give you all and. Um, you know, it's just been good watching it. Yeah, thanks. Thank so, you. so you've been you've been enjoying Newcastle's win, and uh, I think uh, the the good thing is, as we talked about before, uh, Peter's been getting involved with uh, you know the next Newcastle players watching uh, the next um, players coming up uh, generation, which I think is important for the the whole of the northeast. And uh, you must be happy with, apart from your Celtic roots. Um, uh. you must Sorry, sorry, Peter. I can't handle. Yeah, he's supposed yeah, yeah. pretty Celtic, doesn't he? But like, but it's interesting. The last week, isn't it, that Newcastle have gone through a little bit of a crisis to a uh, back on back on the winning the winning route. Absolutely. I mean, I've got faith in this team. Honestly, I mean, every time we get a blip, right? I mean, if we get beat, we always bounce back on the Rafa because they know what's needed. Because we've got um, the team spirit, the club is really, really good. And um, let's hope he keeps going. But um, I'm quite happy you got six points um, from two away games. Quite difficult as well. And um, almost a lot words. And um, yes, our defending's a little bit dodgy in a minute, like, you know, a couple of times. But we seem to be um, holding our ruin. And um, we, need, we just pull out of the fire it needs to be. So, yeah, just um, keep it going. And um, we just keep on getting those three points. I must say, I don't know about you, uh, Peter, and... Uh, but it's funny now when I'm out and about and Newcastle are playing away. Um, when we go up, when we take the lead, I never have any doubts that we're not going to win that game. It's just it, obviously the, I think the championship does that does that for me. But we're so strong, and even though I, I saw those four minutes left of the Burton game, and I was like, mm-hmm. like oh, I'll check back in ten minutes because I know we'll win. There's a, a complete revolution changed compared to you know last season where you know if we took if we didn't take the lead, we're going to get stuffed. Yeah, I think that's that's what the championship brings. But I think again, that comes down to you know the success that Rafa's had in in the recruitment side of, of things on the playing department. I think he's brought a lot of players who 
know the championship inside out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they've, they've, it's been proven that these players can win games and put together, you know, can win, hopefully go and win the league. Um, it's it's going to be it's going to be tough. We're going to lose games between now and the end of the mm-hmm. season. But you know, like I said there before, it's 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 been great to watch the resilience for me from a defending point of view. It's been great mm-hmm. to watch the resilience of the side that they can go and and basically just bore bore the bore yeah. the game into, into submission kind of thing by mm-hmm. you know just seeing it out. You know, the Leeds game for me was a classic example of that it wasn't a great you know mm-hmm. flow and football and performance, but we went to a, a damn hard place to go and, and kind of quiet what was going to be a partisan crowd and just made it, you know, made it a, not a, a stroll in the park, as this to say, but you know, we made it a comfortable victory. Mm. Yeah, it was, I think, uh, John, it was, it was, it's that's that's the thing, isn't it? That when you when you watch Newcastle play, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be grind out results, and the fact that we're doing it in such in such a good way with a very strong team and bench. And you never in January to come, it, you know we we the, the main thing is is to keep ahead of the, that third place team. That to me is very key for Newcastle. Absolutely. Just um, all we just got to do is just um. I mean we are um strong sort of thing at Newcastle sort of thing. I mean the fighting spirit is there and Rafa's instilling into into the team. You're right. And um the players are just um you know listening to him, just doing the jobs rightly mm-hmm. and um just never give up. You would not see this under Pardew or under McLaren. It just wouldn't happen. But um, I'm confident that we can win more games. And um, we just keep going, just do what you, exactly what you're doing, grind out results, so you don't have to play pretty to win the game. You don't have to win with style, but as long as you get the three points, it's absolutely spawn, you know? Mm. And I just, um, it's onwards and upwards, and um, I'll see more players coming in. Yeah, I'd like to say, it's interesting, isn't it, Peter, with um, uh, John, obviously, first, Murphy hasn't had a sniff, has he? He hasn't. No, he hasn't. He's, I think he, he picked up an injury in the Wolves mm. Cup game, didn't he, which you know set him back a couple of weeks, but he's going to be an asset between now and the end of the season too. Mm. You know, it's just going to be another another body that you know Rafa can call upon, and he's going to be you know, someone who is going to be itching itching to get a chance and itching to get an opportunity to you know to perform it on the stage on the center stage and, and score goals to like Mitrovic is doing like Dwight Gale is doing and again for them too in particular it's going to be another person that they've got to you know keep an eye on to mm-hmm. and to make sure that they perform that he doesn't get a sniff so it's, yeah. it's competition it's competition for places uh within the whole squad that that Rafa has created over the over the you know the last couple of months which has been mm-hmm. Probably for me, more pleasing than anything else. Do you think you'll bring anybody in, uh, John? A couple of players? I think you're probably bringing about um, two or three players in January. Definitely needs a midfielder to replace John Joe and Diami as well. And um, we also definitely need a striker as well as here because I still, and I said this to you before, I don't know if Rafa still trusts their Mitrovic. Really no, I don't think so. No, because think it's a shame. I don't want him to leave the club, right? But when it comes, when it comes on, it does give us all. But where do, where do you think he's going to go in January? Do you think he's going in the summer? Uh, well, John Richards told me he's gone. He's got. He's, they're going to. You know, they were actively looking for him to, to to go, and nobody came in in the summer in the, the start of the season. But um, it's interesting, Peter, isn't it, that he, you know, he's gone. He's gone with him. He's gone. Yeah, he's gone with him, John, and he's like, well, okay, I've, but I've had to go with him. Um, mm. 
I think that's why I brought Murphy in to say, right, okay, uh, give me everything. If not, Murphy will come on. But obviously, the Murphy's injury has has probably stopped that a little bit because I, I think you know the defeats that we've had. You know, it, it just depends if he, he starts Mitrovic, and um, I think over the the Christmas period, he obviously you obviously start him, but um, that the, you you know the the two games have got coming up. It's you know the, you've got to play all the all the players you, you've you've got, and there's you know you can't you know he, he rotates a lot. I think that's a good thing about Rafa. He does. He was even shocked that he he he, he put in an unchanged team. He had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, but I think it's a, you know it's a little bit of credit's got to go to Mitrovic himself. You know the fact that maybe he was there was looking to get rid of him in the summer, and he mm. could have just gone and sulked and just mm. you know sat on his pay packet. But you know he thought, well, no, yes, you know, it's like we were talking previously about you know guys within the dressing room and whatnot. Mm. This guy's rolled his socks up and uh, rolled his sleeves up, sorry, and pulled his socks up, mm. and he's got on with his job. And when called upon, he's put in a shift and he's scored goals. So you could easily you could easily have gone the other way and just you know salt as you know we've had players over the past gone and do, um, and I think that again is, is credit to Rafa that he's managed to keep you know keep him on his side um, whether he looks to get rid of him or not I don't that's that's obviously up to him but it's it's good to know that maybe even if he doesn't trust him he knows that he can rely on him mm. to go out and. You know, produce a performance um, within the system and within the formation, and that that you know Rafa Benitez wants, and I think that's again that's got to be a little bit credit. It's got to go to Mitrovic himself on that. Yeah, I agree, I, I, John. It's, the, the good the thing about this league, I, I, the thing about the third place, if Newcastle just look to keep on winning, mm-hmm. it'll it'll destroy a lot of the confidence of the other teams behind if they know they can't get close. Because I think you said one of your tweets that you think it'll be all over by March, possibly. I still, I still stand by that. Could we will be over by March last year? Because um, we've got the best squad, we've got the best team, the best manager in that league, right? And um, we could um, replace players as well. And um, a couple of teams like Huddersfield haven't got a big squad, and Leeds haven't really got a big squad. Wren haven't got a big squad. I mean, mm. they're going to get injuries along the way, and we got to go to Wren Huddersfield to come yet. But um, but if we just keep winning games, they're going to slip up along the way. And I think we will as well. But if we just do our thing, just get the three points, keep going. Don't worry about them. Just concentrate on the wrong way. And we won't be, we won't be very far in between because I think Rafa now knows his best 11. Mm-hmm. I truly think he knows that. Mm-hmm. And, and the players are delivering every week. And you watch us go, I think we're going to be hitting full throttle now. And get us that top before March. Mm, yeah, I'm so confident that we're going to go. <laughs> I'm so confident we're going to do this. I mean, because I don't. If I'm honest with you, so there's only about three or four good teams in the championship. The rest of them is just only If I'm honest with you, you know what I mean. I don't feel like that good. I, it, it's quite a poor league, really. And mm. we're just going to blow them away by the end of the season. I really do. And um, mm. Brighton will probably do the same. And 
Onwards and upwards. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm confident. I'm confident. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on, John. We'll obviously try and catch you over the Christmas period. And Merry Christmas to you. And thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks Thank very much. Thank you very much, man. Cheers. Thanks, cheers, Dan. Cheers, Dan. Cheers, Dan. Well, I'm going to end the show now. I'll talk to you in a, in a, in a second, uh, Peter, before you go. But thanks so much for being on the show tonight. And I'm going to end the show uh, because the, fo- the other football match is on. But uh, stay on the line for a second, Peter. And uh, obviously, Neil. Thanks so, much. Thanks so much this year listening to Toon Talk on radio with myself and um, Neil Mitchell from Dubai with our special guest tonight, Peter Ramage, ex-Newcastle United player and now working and playing in the USA. Thanks so much now. Good evening. Thanks, Got nothing.